Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from Consequence of Sound. No, that is not your stomach rumbling. This is Rockin' Randall Colburn speaking soothingly into your ear. Today, we are here to talk about the 1984 Stephen King novel. Thinner. Well, actually, it was a Richard Bachman novel, later revealed to be Stephen King, the hit author. We're going to talk about that a little <laughs> bit later. But uh, before we get going, um, let's go around and say who we all are. Actually, you know what? Before we do that, uh, I want to encourage you to do a few things. Mm, I want mm. you to leave us an iTunes review. Mm-hmm. I want you to do it right now okay. uh, because you didn't do it yet and we know. <laughs> and um, we'd also like you to follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. We have great presence on all of those, I'd mm-hmm. say. I'd say that, you know, you get, you, and the cool thing is we don't just repost content. You get fresh content. <laughs> We're and all about delivering fresh content to you um, on all like the Subway. channels. It's like Subway. We are literally like Subway. And we know how important content is. So yeah. yeah. The word content. Well, we're not like Subway in the Jared Fogel sense. No. Is no. this like a plug for Subway? This is uh, actually, yeah. you know, every day on a Tuesday <laughs> afternoon, I'm thinking, God, I'm it? hungry. I got to get a sandwich right now. Maybe yeah. a six inch. I'm going to get a turkey sub at the Subway around my corner. I don't know if you know this, but they got different breads and they got different meats and they got yeah. wonderful toys. Oh. If you've got uh, little kitties that want a sandwiches also. I'm sure they do. Sometimes uh, they do. I don't think they have toys at Subway. toys that they want you to have. <laughs> they do not want me to have. But, uh, you know, I got to say I love their lemonade and I love a good old six-inch uh, turkey breast slim. So uh, that's not actually what they call it. They don't it, have no. slim. But, what do you do? I think you're confused like about Jimmy John's. <laughs> well, listen, all joking aside, though, after Jared Fogel, it was, it was a real struggle for Subway to find new sponsors. About two years later, they got us. Yeah. The Club <laughs> has agreed to be the number one and only, coincidentally, uh, enough sponsor of Subway. So they went from the, the evil uh, clutches of Gerald Fogel to the evil dominion of uh, Stephen King. That's true. Sure. And, um, but the, the fun evil clutches let's of, just say, of though, Stephen King. Subway, if you're listening, if you could pay us <laughs> in something besides sandwiches, that we could really great. use the cash. I like their, if you, could, you can get three macadamia cookies for like $1.29, oh, that's fine. Wow. I'll take that. No, well, that's not a good pitch. You got to be like, that's a great deal. That's well, a great deal. <laughs> well, be a great, and I'll take it for free. Right? And it would be, I'm excited. And it would be a great deal for Billy Halleck. I was going to say, this oh, is a good Billy lead Halleck. in for an episode that's all about being hungry or not hungry, gaining weight, losing weight, um, was this Subway chat. So anyways, follow us on those platforms. Uh, and also, subscribe to the other podcasts on the Consequence Podcast Network. We've recently kicked that off. There's a lot of great shows on it. Mike, do you want to run down a couple of the shows? Yeah, we got Halloweenies as a spinoff limited. Series podcast, uh, which stars, stars. <laughs> which starring. features starring uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Jamie Lee Curtis, Donald Pleasance, Charles Cyphers, uh, we Leo Rossi, you star, you got Bo, 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 Bo Star, uh, we got Justin Gerber, 
on that podcast. Uh, also of the Losers Club. Also of the Losers Club. And also the Losers Club is Dan Caffrey and Justin's brother, Mackenzie Gerber. And I happen to be on and the also podcast. also you, so it's basically the Losers so Club. So it is the Losers Club well, with uh, three Roughly less members. 67% of their Losers Club. Well, we're, we're, we're talking about one Michael Myers movie at a time uh, leading up to the release of David Gordon Green's Hallow Green. Uh, Hallow Green? That's why I decided to call it Hallow Green to avoid any confusion. Oh, yeah. Please, October 19th. Please, please bring me on when you talk about Buster Rhymes. We will. Ooh. We will. Did you see that one? I brought that back. I put that in a vault. A Halloween oh, Resurrection? Yeah. Well, we are opening that. It should be like Al Capone's vault. Hopefully there'll be yeah. nothing inside. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and there will be because that uh, that sequel is awful. But um, I will say um, fun to watch. I, yeah, yeah, I it's agree. Fun, Very fun, fun, fun to watch. Fun, bad movie. Uh, we also have State of the Empire, which mm-hmm. is our uh, Star Wars podcast, which is probably the greatest Star Wars podcast that's out there. Best since Empire? Best since Empire. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it's led by uh, CPN director Cat Blackard. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, and then we also have TV Party, which is uh, hosted by our former loser, Allison Shoemaker, mm-hmm. TV editor of Consequence of Sound. And uh, we also have uh, Clint Worthington on there of the Alcohol Hollywood. And if you want to know everything about TV, uh, including exhaustive discussions about RuPaul's Drag Race, <laughs> that is a great podcast for you. Um, and then we also have, uh, we're not going to go through all of them, but I would be remiss to not mention Lior Phillips' This Must Be the Gig. Which is covering one musician and one industry folk at a time as she's, it's basically almost like a docu-series where she's going to be talking about the best and the worst gigs from your favorite musicians. And I'm very excited. She's already talked to Shirley Manson. She's talked mm-hmm. to uh, Tim Charlatan, uh, or no, t- Tim Burgess of the Charlatans. Oh, the Charlatans. <laughs> uh, she actually, this past week, uh, had spoken to uh, um, the Vibes founder to, about oh, wow. the earplugs. So, because you got to be careful with those ears when you're out there in the live scene, you know? I agree. Yeah. Um, I actually have really poor hearing hmm. because I have a habit of going to concerts and standing by speakers and not wearing mm. earplugs. Uh, I do too. I try to avoid, I always try to stand center away from the, the speakers on the sides. But then how can you hear the music? It's loud <laughs> enough. Exactly. <laughs> like I have to stand right next to it. Like, what is this? I got to feel it through my entire body. That's, like it's like I a, love that though. Feel pulsing through my veins. Right. Um, oh. Sorry for the, uh, that was a bit of an extended intro with that whole subway <laughs> bit. It's all right. I think I'm okay with the subway bit. The thing is good. It's, we have it's, to say. it's on theme for this episode. Mm-hmm. It is. So like I said, we're here to talk about 1984's Thinner. And uh, we're going to delve into the history. We're going to delve into the structure. We're going to delve into what's scary, what's not, what's good, what's bad, what's... Uh, and then, and how this fits into the larger realm of Richard Bachman. Because this was the last book he wrote as Richard Bachman. Not the last book, book he wrote as Richard Bachman, but the last one he wrote before he was outed as mm-hmm. Richard Bachman. We're going to get into the history of that in a little bit, but let's introduce ourselves. As I said, my name is Rockin' Randall Colburn. I am uh, I am a senior writer at Consequence of Sound, co-host of the Losers Club podcast, and I think just a pretty cool guy in general. <laughs> sure, sure. And, uh, and I'm not very hungry, though, because I had a quesadilla that I made myself oh. before I came. Oh, and that quesadilla, of course, courtesy of Subway. No, oh. well, <laughs> it, let me just say, the Subway's... The <laughs> Subways would have been fresher and more delicious. Mm, eat, fresh. Um, eat fresh. Well, what, what he actually did was he went to Subway to get the materials and then assembled <laughs> it. All They've got it all Subway. I went fresh. behind the counter and made it yeah. myself. Yeah. Uh, who's sitting across from me? Uh, this would be Michael uh, Metabolism mm. Rothman. Uh, I am uh, editor-in-chief of Consequence of Sound and also a constant contributor of the Losers Club. It's true. Yeah, this I, is true. I call you constant. Yes. We call you Constant Zimmer. Constant Zimmer. <laughs> 
Is that a, she's from Unreal, right? She sure is. She is. Yeah. Uh, when did you first read Thinner? I read Thinner a long, long time ago, yeah. back when I was um, a portly boy uh, in <laughs> South Florida. And uh, I was very interested in Stephen King because I was starting to get into his movies and horror movies specifically. And uh, Thinner was just coming out. Yeah. I loved uh, my boy, Joe Montana. Yeah. Was in that. Uh, was a huge fan of When his did you work. first encounter Joe Montana? I would say, hmm, that's I a good tell question. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? What, what do you think of it? Three Amigos. Oh. Probably was Three Amigos. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> love Joe Montana. But I also loved him in... Uh, well, it's just like a David Mamet movie you saw when you were four years old. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it probably was, actually. You know, um, I, I need to look at his IMDb uh, trivia real quick. Or well, not his trivia, do that. But I mean, didn't he do... Was it Law & Order or SC or something? I'm thinking... I feel like he did one of the... Oh, I'm Criminal sure Minds. Was, yeah. Was it Criminal Minds? Yeah. Yes, criminal, he's, he's still in Criminal Minds, okay. yeah. Okay. Uh, who is the guy? Jay... Oh, God. Jay... Uh, Guy Rochelle. No, Guy no. There's a guy named Jay Thomas. Do you remember yeah, Jay Thomas? Oh, he just died recently. So I know. I used to. Always, he was a star of some sitcoms and stuff. I used to always confuse him and Joe Montana oh. when I was young because they both uh, oh Italian Americans. Yeah, Duh, mm-hmm. I know. Airheads. Oh yeah, Airheads. That's when I first encountered. Oh, him. Really? Yeah. That was like years. Love him in Airheads. Anyway, sorry for the Joe Montana spinoff there. Uh, There's gonna t- be a lot of Joe Montana <laughs> on this podcast. Not this episode. Actually, <laughs> the but, next. But, yeah. Next up. But next, even yeah, here, yeah. though, too, probably. Uh, yeah, probably. So whenever we talk about Janelle. Okay. Um, so I had read it. Okay. Tell, tell and, us and, about and, and being a, a heavy kid, I was actually uh, kind of jealous of uh, Billy Halleck. Yeah. Um, we found the bit. one person jealous of <laughs> <laughs> Billy Halleck's plight. In this whole yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because he, he was able to, uh, you know, still eat as much as he wanted. And mm-hmm. uh, he, you know, it was kind of like that that uh, scene in Defending Your Life when uh, they, they go to heaven and they could eat whatever they want and not gain an ounce. And that was, uh, he got to lose weight still. So if I could, like at the time when I used to like love going to McDonald's yeah. and getting like Big Macs and all this other stuff without my parents knowing about it, um, I w- would have loved to have been able to do that and then actually get on the scale and be like, wow, I lost five pounds. Great. Yeah. But the problem you know. with that is that nothing tastes good to him anymore. That's so right. like the, are you yeah. really that? It's it's true. True. The that's, pleasure that's, is gone. Yeah. It's uh, not worth it. So was this your first reread? This was then? my first reread since then, and uh, it, it, to be to be honest, it was a little hard to separate the movie from the book. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah. Who's sitting next to me, and how did you first read? Hey, Randall, this is uh, Justin Purple Fargate Insectet Gerber. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, wow. first read this book. Actually, I brought the copy with me. This copy is the original hardcover. Oh wow! That came from my mother. My mother was a big Kinghead. And my grandmother also is a big king head. And so I have the very copy that she read. I didn't know your grandmother was ago. a huge king Yeah, I, my first book I read was her, her copy of Misery. Oh, wow. Her cover of Misery. Uh, so, yeah, I read this book about 20 years ago or so. I've still never seen the movie. Mm-hmm. So I had no problem um, separating anything. <laughs> it was yeah. just all I, had was, wow. all I had was the written word. And so this was my first reread, though which I read about a month ago to, to prep for the ep. Yeah, you, nice. you, you, you got out ahead of time. Yeah, 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 definitely. So. I literally just finished my reread maybe an hour before the, uh, the episode. So, um, you know, it was good. Well, but it was speaking, only of, just, speaking of finishing up the rereads, who is that sitting next to you, Mike? Yeah, we have a brand new loser. Yeah. Well, not brand new because she has been on a previous episode. She was on our Souls Midnight episode where we dug deep into aliens and mm-hmm. extraterrestrials. Mm-hmm. She was a great guest. We're happy to have her back. Her name is Aisha. Tell us more about yourself, your history with Stephen King, and then finally, uh, your first read of Thinner. And also a nickname. 
And oh, oh yeah, you need a nickname. We, we all got a nickname. Okay. You know, they change every I mean, episode. Like, that's that's a lot of pressure. I was wondering. I was like, is this a hold on forever kind of nickname? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, we change it every episode. Except, except for, for me. Randall. I'm always rocking Randall. <laughs> this is so cool. Cool. Thanks for having me back. This is Aisha making a double with egg and bacon. Yes. There you go. All right. Because oh. I'm that hungry. I actually read this book a lot of times while I was hungry just to kind of get into the mood for it. <laughs> Probably the biggest mistake yeah. of my life. Smart and devastating. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I really felt what King was trying to put out there for me. Uh, let's see. My dad's a King head. Actually, what's funny is when I tried to go back to find this book, I knew he had it. Yeah. But he had actually donated it to the library while I was living overseas. So I took me a long time to find this book. So as somebody was alluding to, I just finished this book like maybe... 20 minutes before yeah. we started. It's, everything's really, really fresh. It's very yeah. fresh. Like very Subway, fresh. eat fresh. Exactly. And then I watched the movie last night. So as he said, it is mixing in my head a little bit. But Joe I, Montaigne. Yes. I keep imagining him as Janelli. Absolutely. So, yeah. Which is not a bad thing. Not a bad no. thing not at all. Not a bad thing Good at casting. all. It is my first time reading Thinner as well as watching that movie. I remember seeing the book as a kid, though, in my dad's collection. That's why I was like, I know you have it. Uh, what was your first King book ever? Let's see. See, when I was little, my dad was pretty apprehensive about letting me read them. Yeah. So how I got away with things at first was watching the movies because yes. I could sneak and watch TV. Um, but as I got older, I think the first one I read when I was younger was I tried to read it, never finished it because I was, I don't know, it was too big and I was 11 or something. Yeah, it's, it's like so long. And then the <laughs> second one I tried to read and I finished was uh, Pet Cemetery. Nice. So. Nice. Uh, since then, I've been. I'm trying to reread King right now and Dark Tower, and I'm just failing at the Dark Tower right now. Really? Yeah. What book are you on? Book two. I'm yeah. just struggling. That I don't blame you. <laughs> My wife, uh, she really struggled with drawing of the three as well. But then she read Wastelands literally in like two weeks. I'm, I'm trying oh. to get there, and it's so much longer than drawing of three. Like that's I kind yeah. of feel the same way. I struggle with the first two Dark Tower books, uh, but I love everything beyond the Wastelands. So I struggled with the Gunslinger. It took me a year mm. almost to read it. Yeah, it's a tough read, yeah. and then. Uh, and drawing of the three, yeah, my wife, she kept calling it macho. She says it's too macho. I can uh, see that. So she mm. struggled with it. But, she left her on the episode. Uh, she would probably just uh, devolve into a series of bits because that's, that's kind of how she rolls. Thing, it's not a bad thing. So. We don't do that. We're very serious here. Yeah, no. we're very serious yeah. here. Um, well, uh, speaking well, of serious, we got some serious meats that are cut seriously yeah. uh, tight over mm-hmm. at Subway. Around uh, <laughs> the corner and always open for we, you. We don't have flatbread, <laughs> wheat, or regular. Well, what, uh, which, which, Parmesan oregano. So That's which right. edition are you reading, Aisha? Uh, it looks like we've got the same edition. It's the one with, yeah, the movie. The uh, movie edition. Yeah, yeah, the movie edition on there, which is what drew me to it. Because I didn't want to get the boring hand on, print on the book cover. Uh, yeah, Featuring uh, Rescue Me's John, uh, Robert John Burke. Robert, Robert yes. John Burke. Who was RoboCop, right? RoboCop 3. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. he was I RoboCop 3? He's a good yeah. replacement for Peter Weller. Yeah, RoboCop 3 is a tough watch. Yeah, <laughs> it's a tough thing. This was we the. Uh, but he's got a rocket pack. Well, this and Thinner, I think RoboCop 3 and this was like the Robert John Burke Renaissance. The oh, yeah. Of his career. Okay. Wouldn't you say the Renaissance, though, was Rescue Me? Yeah, that's actually. That, that's I'd more say- of a Renaissance because it all began with Thinner and the <laughs> RoboCop 3. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's the Penguin edition uh, that came out whenever the movie did, so like mid nineties. Yeah. Um, which version? And you had the original. Yeah. And when, like, what did you read? I read the paperback. I actually have a first edition that I bought at a book fair last year, but I chose not to read it because it's it's crisp and <laughs> brand new. And I just didn't, and I had to travel with this. And what I like to do is get. Uh, 
almost first edition paperbacks and beat the living hell out of them yeah. uh, uh, as I'm going around, which is the stupidest idea because you should save the first edition paperbacks too. But no, I don't think this is a first edition because it says author of needful things. So that's the same Stephen edition. That's the same run as the Salem's Lot paperback with the two kids on the cover. Yeah. Well, it's a signet. Yeah. From the mid to early nineties. Yeah. yeah oh. The, um, the version I have is the one I read when I was a kid and, uh, it's pretty much like right in the middle. It's starting to become unglued a little bit. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I've beaten the hell out of this guy, but I've only read it. This is only my second time reading it, but it's been in my collection. I grabbed it last time I was home at my parents' house. It was in the closet. And, uh, yeah, I read this one, uh, obviously when the movie came out because I've got the movie edition, it was not one of the first Stephen King books I ran to. I think I held off on the Bachman books for a while. I just... I thought that they were minor works to some degree, and I was uh, always interested in the big ones. Well, what's interesting about my copy is that, so it says copyright 1984, which is, you know, it came out in November of 84. Yeah. And this is the first signet printing of September 1985, and they already have, like, Stephen King's name on it. Yeah. And everything, which is... Well, that they made a big pivot once that got out, because the book went from selling, I think, roughly... Uh, it did well, like, but it went from selling, like... 28,000 or something to like, you know, 250,000 yeah. like overnight. Bachman like die of cancer, quote unquote, in uh, 1985. So. Yeah, so I'm that's... like, is that why that Kings like showed up? At oh, that yeah. Point? Yeah. So, so let's break down. Let's talk first about, um, do you, yeah, let's talk first about Bachman himself. Mm-hmm. We've, this is the fifth Bachman book we've covered on the podcast. If you haven't listened to our episodes on Rage, The Long Walk, Road Work, and The Running Man, uh, those are all back in the past. So go back. You don't need to stop now because I don't think I don't think you need to know what's going on in those books. To, no, uh, they're not connected to do this. At all. They're not connected. I have no idea what's going on in those books. Not yeah, <laughs> well, they're not great except for Long Walk. We love Long Walk. But uh, so those were all books that King had written, um, but did, just didn't really fit into his traditional style. King sort of has, you know, he can the way he distinguishes between Bachman and. Uh, his other books, he says all of the Bachman books are sad books. This is a quote he said to Washington Post when he was when he was found out. He did this big expose, uh, not, well, not expose because he was along with it. But uh, the the guy who discovered him wrote a piece, discovered that it was King and not Bachman. Wrote a piece for the Washington Post, and they did this pretty great interview. So he goes, all of the Bachman books are sad books. They all have downbeat endings. I don't I don't think the ending of a novel is particularly important, though a lot of people do. I'm more interested in how people read. A Along the way, as far as we're concerned, we're all going to come to an unhappy ending. But, you know, he usually does like to in- include a little bit of hope and a little bit of brightness at the end of his books, except for Pet Cemetery, which is probably <laughs> one of the reasons that he, you know, always said that, as we discussed on that episode, that that was a book that he felt a certain amount of apprehension about. And he probably felt the same way about some of these Bachman books, but he also really believed in them, which is why he sought to publish them. But the thing was, they weren't being published. Uh, under his own name for a couple of reasons, partly because they weren't really part of his voice, but then also because they didn't want to oversaturate the market with King. And he also made this like weird personal choice that he wanted to see if his career was, you know, sputtering out of control based mm-hmm. on luck or actually because it was, you know, he's a great writer. So yeah. that's, well, that's kind of an interesting, like, you know, personal decision of his I own think he show. also chose for some reason to make sure they put out his worst books under the Bachman name. <laughs> yeah. To really test the scene. Well, yeah. He, Although like, The Long like Walk Rage, would have been a great King book. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Well, Rage was released. Uh, he didn't want, like, any marketing behind it. He just wanted to see what would happen if it went out in the world and it pretty much disappeared, like, faded into obscurity. Whereas Thinner, he wanted there to be a marketing campaign behind it. He wanted to see... I think he really believed in this book. He he said it's the first Bachman book he wrote 
intending for it to be a Bachman book. And uh, thinner, yeah, really? wow. And um, he he really wanted there to be sort of a marketing campaign, so he was publishing these books with New American Library, who were also releasing his paperbacks while he was releasing books with Doubleday. He eventually moved to North uh, New American Library, which we discussed back when you know whenever that merger happened. I can't remember that was a few episodes ago, but yeah, so. You know, it was because of his of uh, the way uh, NAL was handling the Bachman books that he ended up moving to them after he left Doubleday. But he, you know, with Thinner, he was like, "Why don't we see what we can do and um, and see if we can get people interested?" But you know, because King, the, the funny thing though is that. Uh, I think King got a little cocky when he was writing this book, oh. thinking that people weren't. And, you know, he said, he goes, before Thinner, the Bachman books were dropping down a well. I got 50, I get 50 or 60 fan letters a week, more if there's a movie or the paper or the paperback of something out. Bachman was getting two letters a month. I never thought much about working at keeping Bachman a secret. I didn't have to. But when Thinner came out, it was like carrying your groceries home in a shopping bag in the rain. Gradually, the, ra- the bag softens and begins to tear. Things begin falling out. Mm. So, um, well, even just the concept of the book alone is so Stephen King esque. Like, I mean, they, they they make that joke; that they're self aware about it in the book. He mentions Stephen King in it, yeah, which is kind twice, of silly. Actually. Yeah, twice. Not to mention, like, you know, the main events all take place, no pun intended, in Maine. Maine. So, yeah, yeah you even know. though it starts out in Connecticut, yeah. it rolls into Maine. And that's curious that you said that about um, almost like he intended to write as Bachman at that mm-hmm. point because, so granted, like I said, I didn't read the other Bachman books, mm-hmm. but I read. Some Something that was saying that his ended less with like that supernatural trope that he normally does in his actual mm-hmm. stories, whereas thinner like diverged from that path yep. and is like the curse, the gypsy curse part of it is that supernatural link, and it was obvious. And now there's one line, and well, I, I won't get into it now for later. <laughs> but like I was like, okay, so if I was reading this, I would know right off the bat. I'm like, either you're hand jobbing King or, <laughs> or you're hand jobbing yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, um, well, that's what led a bookstore employee to he had the same suspicion. So he went down to the Library of Congress and looked at Richard Bachman's copyrights. All but one were in the name of Kirby McCauley, who is King's agent. Um, You know, but that's not that's not a smoking gun necessarily. But uh, the earliest of the Bachman books rage was in King's own name. So. This guy sent King a letter basically detailing what he'd found, waited for a reply, thinking it would just be, you know, a shoo-shoo away. Because uh, there were a couple – King does mention that there were a few other inquiries, but they were more so, hey, this guy sounds a lot like you. Is it you? And King would be like, no, he is a – wait, hold on. I have right here. For for years prior to the publication of Thinner, King fended off the occasional query with the story that Richard Bachman was a New Hampshire chicken farmer, a man whose cancer-ravaged face made it impossible for him to meet or talk with anyone. The poor guy was one ugly son of a bitch, says King. So, uh, which but is yeah. interesting. They says cancer ravaged face is because yeah. that's what you know. A certain person, a little like later on, little Lemke. That's what yeah. I was just thinking of. Yeah. So you the guy actually. Yeah, that's actually true. Yeah. Mm. So the guy who found out was named Steve Brown. So King called him and said, Steve Brown, this is Steve King. Okay, you know, I'm Bachman. I know I'm Bachman. What are we going to do about it? Let's talk. So that's when it happened. We all we all know the Washington Post. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, he was a I think because (laughs) he discovered it, uh, he was able to. King gave him an interview for the 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 Washington Post. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And so. um so, yeah, it's a neat story. And obviously King went on to do two more Bachman books. One of them, Blaze, was a trunk book that uh, he had written, never thought he was going to publish. And then eventually it stuck in his mind, stuck in his craw enough that he pulled it out. Regulators, on the other hand, I think was 
I, I we're not there yet. I haven't done a ton of research, but that was that's that book sort of a mirror, like a, a broken mirrored image of desperation. Yeah. I think King maybe just, you know, had this vision of these characters in two different scenarios and thought, ah, it could be fun to play with Bachman a little bit there. And that was just a few. No, I, no that was like that was 10 the years 90s. after this. Yeah, yeah huh? I was going to say. Um, so, yeah. But then um, so let's talk more about Thinner now. King has talked a, a bit in these in you know the years following that about what led him to write the book, and it actually had to do unsurprisingly with his own weight struggles. He said, "I used to weigh two hundred and thirty six pounds, and I smoked heavily." King admits, "I went to see the doctor. He said, listen, man, your triglycerides are really high. In case you haven't noticed it, you've entered heart attack country.'" And he says that line is in the book. He told me that I should quit smoking and lose some weight. I spent a very angry weekend off by myself. I thought about it, thought about how awful they were to make me do all these terrible things to save my life. I went and lost the weight and pretty much quit smoking. Once the weight actually started to come off, I began to realize that I was attached to it somehow, that I didn't really want to lose it. I began to think about what would happen if somebody started to lose weight and couldn't stop. It was a pretty serious situation at first. Then I remembered all the things I did when I weighed a lot. I had a paranoid conviction that the scales weighed heavy no matter what. I would refuse to weigh myself except in the morning and then after I had taken off all my clothes. It was so existential that the humor crept in after a while. And then he also just says that um, there's a subtext to the book about eating. He says it's about how everybody's eating everywhere all the time. It's about how we look and how we look at ourselves. So those are some of the quotes that King has said about the book itself. Um, but It's interesting that he says it because this book definitely comes from a, there's a sort of intuition to what's the way Billy, ha- you know, Billy Halleck's relationship with the scale, yeah. I felt it was very real. Yeah. Uh, and very, well, I think anybody came from a personal place. Yeah. Struggled with their weight a little bit can relate yeah. to that kind of stuff. Totally. totally. So uh, why don't we read the synopsis before we delve into the book itself? I'll read the one from the film uh, edition and then... Yeah, I'd love to hear what the original actually has to say as well. But I'll start. Um, I can tell you right now because I don't have the actual sleeve. Oh, you don't so have I've it. Got absolutely nothing to say. Alas, oh, wow. Well, then we'll hear what's on Mike's as well. But yeah. uh, Billy Halleck, good husband and loving father, is both beneficiary and victim of the American good life. He has an expensive home, a nice family, and a rewarding career as a lawyer. But he is also fifty pounds overweight and edging into heart attack country. Then, in a moment of carelessness, Billy sideswipes an old gypsy woman as she is crossing the street, and her ancient father passes a bizarre and terrible judgment on him. Thinner, the old gypsy man whispers. Just one word, but six weeks later and 93 pounds lighter, Billy Halleck is terrified and desperate enough for one last gamble that will lead him to a nightmare showdown with the forces of evil melting his flesh away. Oh, and just one note. Um, in the year, in recent years, the word gypsy has uh, been regarded kind of as a uh, racial slur. So we're only going to be using that word when we're referring to it within text. Otherwise, we'll be using the phrase travelers or Romani people, which is uh, the common phrases for this, this breed of people. Mike? 1985. My paperback. Gotcha. Synopsis. That's an 85 paperback. It says 85. Mm-hmm. Medieval things didn't come out until the late 80s. Why well, say I don't know why it things. says. I don't know why well, it says first signet. Well, it's probably telling you the first signet was 85. Yeah, the or the first paperback printing was 85. Hmm. Well, either way. Either way. What does it say? Um, <laughs> it doesn't say the date on here, so whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I, but it does say the synopsis, and this is what it is. 
Something unimaginably evil, more deadly than cancer, was eating its way into Billy Halleck's guts. He had dropped 30 pounds in three weeks, 61 pounds in a month. He ate heartily at meals, scarfed bags of caramel corn at work, cheese doodles at home. And still, the weight flew off. And he couldn't tell anyone, not his doctor, not even his wife, what was causing it. Because he knew it was the old gypsy with the rotting nose who cursed him with just one word. But it was enough. And now one of the fattest, happiest men in this pretty little Connecticut town was slowly starving to death and scared as hell to find the only man who could give him back his life. Thinner. You will never be a trailer narrator. <laughs> Trying to meet, try, trying to keep it Billy as Billy that, that's <laughs> yeah, well, the way I'm super excited about. Well, that's that, that's what the, it, it kind of had that sort of cadence to it. So I was like, ah, eh, you know, let's go read it this way. Thinner, thinner. Coming soon. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. Don't you see? Don't you see how clear it all is? Not only can you see the future, you can. I can change it. You can change it exactly. So the hook of this book, it kind of has a, you know, there's kind of a, a dual sided nature to it. I think, you know, the whole weight loss aspect is kind of a hook unto itself. Um, the gimmick of a man who can't stop losing weight. But then also, you know, the fact that I think it comes from, you know, this Romani curse and from uh, this supernatural component, mm-hmm. like a king doesn't, I mean, when it comes to curses, I mean, is our curses something that you guys recognize from a lot of other king works? If you want to say vampires and werewolves are curses, I guess. In that regard, but not spells. Spells, yes, magic. No, nothing I can think. Not especially at this point in his career, nothing I can think of. Yeah, I feel like his dalliances with magic are usually very broad. Mm-hmm. I think about like the Chud ritual in um it. Yeah, you know, like the Dark Tower. Yeah, Re of the Coos. Yeah, later on, yeah. definitely. But I think that, but those books squarely fall more within fantasy. Mm-hmm. I would say, yeah. And um, there's nothing fantasy about this book. Like this is a pretty straightforward. I don't know. The final book. act, uh, you know, you know, Billy pulls out that sword and uh, <laughs> like goes, runs into the castle. Limp, Limpy becomes the a dragon. Castle. You know, it's pretty yeah. incredible. <laughs> yeah, I think this could be a sequel to Eyes of the Dragon. But uh, is Beauty. this like the only book that he also deals with like Romani people? Uh, that I can remember. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it comes close with Doctor Sleep, though, right? Those are really boring. Those are like carnies. <laughs> carnies. <laughs> <laughs> there's some. There's been some. Side. There's been some blowback on Twitter about why we don't like Doctor Sleep. But um, really, yeah. Well, I think it's happened not just on Twitter. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting to that in a couple of years. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll get back to that later on. Sorry, back to thinner, ha- happier times. Well, um, yeah, and I guess let's break down the story a little bit that we didn't hear in the synopsis, which is basically that. Uh, Billy is an overweight guy and then he's, he's, you know, high society. He's a lawyer in this, uh, is it New Hampshire he lives? Connecticut. 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 You know, uh, he's upper crust and uh, he's a, he's a fat cat, a literal fat cat. And he accidentally, while his wife is giving him a hand job, runs over a woman in the street who is part of a, uh, chat, you know, a group of travelers and, um, and then he, because he's friends with the judge and he's friends with the police chief, they let him slide. He gets away with things. And hey, this is uh, that's pretty relevant to today's culture, huh? The white privilege. Uh, yeah, the white priv. Uh, you know, white priv. Get, get white priv. <laughs> that's like, the hip way of saying, right? <laughs> getting away with it. And so, um, and it's be so. It isn't just Billy that is cursed here. It's mm. also the judge, and it's also the police, police chief. chief. And we'll get into what happens to them because I think I think if anything falls into the cemetery, it's oh, what happens to oh, those two guys. Absolutely. 
absolutely. Like that section even, is uh, overflowing with dead bodies. Hey, and so that definitely. So that's sort of the broader thing. And then Billy, you know, unlike those other guys who kind of uh, uh, lock themselves away, Billy, you know, is out in the world and he's kind of actively trying to track down these travelers and, you know, try to break the curse. You might call him the seeker. The seeker. To borrow from the who. Uh, <laughs> Naturally. Yeah. Try as you might, Mike. This is not a fantasy book. This is not a fantasy book. This is actually pretty gritty and real. Yeah. Uh, and I actually think like, you know, when you actually remove some of the more supernatural elements of it, like you're mentioning, like it, it does have some sort of timely value to it. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of discussion that you can put in this book about even like just gender roles too. Yeah. I mean, just like the oh, idea, idea like the, the way that Billy so liberally is able to push this on Heidi and yep. the displacement you know, alone. Yeah. You know, Definitely. and that's something I think that if we're talking about themes, this is what really, and this is where I think King does a really great job here of merging this idea of curses Um, And, you know, if we think about curses in a broader sense as something that clings to us and sticks to us, uh, especially as a means of um, as something that sort of haunts you when you refuse to take responsibility for Mm -hmm. something. And I think what I find so striking about Thinner and what really distinguishes it as a Bachman book for me is that Billy is a pretty shitty, shitty person. Mm -hmm. And unlike uh, King protagonists are usually pretty noble, pretty virtuous people, even if they they're flawed. But here Billy is somebody who absolutely refuses throughout the entire book up until the, the very end to take responsibility for what he's done. He keeps saying that uh, the woman that he ran over was jaywalking. Mm-hmm. He keeps blaming, relentlessly blaming his wife for mm-hmm. giving him a hand yeah. job during it. And he will not, he'll acknowledge his role in it, but he won't take responsibility for it. Yeah. And that to me is really striking. Yeah, I think they actually do a pretty good job of, of almost a slow build yeah. to, to the realization. Because at first you're, you're kind of honest. This isn't like, for instance, the kid in the stand where you know right away, oh, this guy's an asshole. Right. It's revealed slowly, like, okay, now we feel for his pain. Absolutely. But we're not necessarily feeling or being empathetic or sympathetic towards who he is and how he's gotten to this point. I think they do a pretty good job about building that out. As it goes on, they realize, oh, this guy is, like you said, blaming his wife for all of his woes mm-hmm. and then really violently blaming his wife for all of his woes. Yes. Like, to the point where he actually tips over the edge and becomes crazy near the end of the book. Well, that's see, that's what I, I really do think it's strikingly a Bachman book because – you know, in all of his other novels that we've read up to this point, there's such a cynical sort of um, pessimistic view of the world yes. where everyone's just out for themselves in literally every book, except for the maybe, except for maybe the long walk. Yeah, the long walk you have is the two characters much more are, king. Yeah. yeah. But when you actually really look at like the protagonists and the villains and everything in here, nobody really is, with the exception of maybe Janelli, but even then at the end, he kind of, you kind of hint that he's doing this for himself. He's got bloodlust. Yeah, he's got yeah. bloodlust on it. So like, for the most part, like even something as minor as like when when Billy's talking about going to like the hospital and like they're like he they just that they just they were hoping for that third ailment because then they can get they they can like you know run away with this rare disease and all that stuff. Yeah. It's like there's just such mistrust and such yeah. anger and such like you know vitriol and venom with between all the characters in this that. You know, on one hand, it makes for a great pulpy sort of 90s mm-hmm. thriller, which is why I think I love the movie because it's so like merciless. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, it makes for such a it's it's just funny that like this is very of King in sort of premise when you think like, oh, this is the one about the guy who becomes thin. Yeah. Like, but it's also very separate from there's like literally like very little hope and then very little like um, of that sort of like sort of aura that makes his books 
that much more well, you know, even, just, even in pet cemetery you still have that you still have like the judd character and you yeah. still have like you know and lewis still has that sort of optimism in yeah. his in his, mm-hmm. in his blood but th- you don't have that in any of this here really i, I mean, mean it, yeah aside from maybe his daughter yeah, yeah i was gonna say that's the only character i feel like who's completely the only kind of moral beacon because even okay so this is going to a point you were making with all of this he's he you he's a big asshole because even in those moments of growth that he's supposed to finally learn something or he has these comical deep thought moments where he's like reflecting and he's learned something and then he turns around and he's a total ass of still blaming Heidi yeah. or finding a way because he says I think it's in um shoot what chapter probably like chapter 11 and he's like uh no human is unique yeah. in and of themselves these deep thoughts where you're like okay maybe he started to learn something maybe he's going to finally take responsibility which this whole book is about guilt. Like you said, curse is sticking to you. Guilt yeah. sticks to you. Yeah. It causes you to do things um, or to... Uh, well, it eats away at you. Yeah, it eats away at you. Yeah. And sometimes you have deep reflective moments and you learn from it and you become a better person and you accept that guilt and that blame and other people are like Billy who just want to pass the buck yep. entirely. And then he has this noble purpose really at the uh, underneath it all of like coming back to his daughter. Like every time he has conversations with his daughter... I laughed because it's like you're sitting here trying to be like this good parent who's teaching her moral and values, but still lying to her because she's just a kid. Her mother. Yes, exactly. So, well, that's what you know. The whole concept of passing the buck. Like, I almost feel like Lemke, in a way, kind of wins in the end because Mm -hmm. even though he removes the curse from Billy. He he's like laughing as he does it because he's like, you so refuse to take responsibility for what you've done that I am going to literally give you a sentient metaphor that you need to pass this pie on to somebody else like you need because you refuse to own up to it yourself. You need to kill someone else by by foisting your sin and your guilt on someone else. And then, of course, I think, you know. There's sort of the cruel moral omniscience in the uh, ending um, where, you know, in the end, that kind of thing ends up killing not just, you know, the person that you've given the pie to, but like everything that was good in your life, which you can yeah. kind of, you know, assign to Linda. And that, you know, if you don't face your guilt, if you don't confront it head on, because that's the thing is like, is like Billy, when he goes to meet with, Lemke at the end he's not going to apologize or anything no. you know what I mean he's just, he's in it for himself he's in it because he's like you got to remove this curse from me because like the thing that and what I just there's such a low key like you said Justin like there's a subtlety there's a slow build to the realization of how much Billy refuses to take yeah. this on himself well, I, I think it's more along the lines of just that sort of subtle ignorance of the fact that like I didn't ask for this. Yeah. You know, like, why do I have to deal with it? Yeah. Well, That's kind of like his reluctance at the end. Like, he doesn't really wish any harm for him either. Like, even when, like, Lemke at the end is just like, oh, it's cancer on the on the face. I bet you that make you happy. And he's like, I don't know. I just don't. I'm done. I just don't want to. This interest. Yeah. Like, wanting to be a part of that. Because it's kind of like when they first show up in the common grounds in the beginning and the interaction of, like, okay, his daughter wants to, like, go and explore and talk with them because, you know, they're interesting and you have her perspective and then you have his wife's perspective perspective that reflects a lot of the other town folk. They need to be gone. They're trash. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Billy who's just kind of like, eh, I'm watching. I'm, as long as Linda's okay, I'm okay. Like, I don't really care what they do. They're not bothering me. And that disinterest, like, he kind of got sh- his, his bee's nest got, or hornet's nest got shaken up yep. and now he's involved in this whole thing. But in the beginning and at the end, he has this disinterest. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I mean, the thing is, he gets cursed 
after the verdict is laid down. Mm. So you figure, okay, now if, if everything had gone to par and if the judge was fair and if the, if the police to begin with were fair, he never would have had this curse to begin with. He would have gone to jail for a period of time. It would have been involuntary, I'm sure. And he would have been out in X amount of years. Life moves on. But justice, well, just the only way that, that Lemke could find justice was by going his own, going mm-hmm. with his own methods. Well, what I find, the phrase disinterest is very interesting to me because one of the things that really struck me was after his meeting with Lemke on page mm-hmm. 291 of my edition, the, uh, the Penguin and Books edition. The movie edition. Um, <laughs> he Happy says, uh, he, he literally, he says, when Lemke dis- had disappeared into the evening, Billy got up and started back the way he had come. He had walked 20 paces before he realized he had forgotten mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. He went back to the bench, his face dazed and serious, eyes opaque, and got his pie. It was still warm and it still pulsed, but these things sickened him less now. He supposed a man could get used to anything given sufficient incentive. Mm-hmm. And that's just really interesting to me, the fact that he forgets the pie, which, uh, and then also the idea where it's just kind of like, you know, we all live with guilt to some degree. It eats away at us, but so long as we can shove the, like separate ourselves from it and put it on someone else or put it somewhere else and we can get used to it. We can move on. We can live that way. But there's just something like so dehumanizing about that. Mm-hmm. And just like that general sense of, you know, a man, he's supposed a man could get used to anything given sufficient incentive. That to me is, um, is, you know, it's, there's something very cynical about that, you know, like that's kind of what you were saying, Mike, this whole, like, that's the thing about Bachman is there is such a deep cynicism at the heart of all of this. Definitely. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, I guess like when, when maybe did the tide start turning where you realized that you weren't I don't know. I mean, because I don't think it's that we're necessarily not on Billy's side. One of the things that's great about this book, I think, and I, you know, this is a book that we'll get into our deeper thoughts later, but I don't, it's not like a top king for me, but at the same time, I found myself maybe more into it on this read than I was on my first mm-hmm. read because I thought that there was some, and this is, I think maybe where, you know, uh, the Bachman books are most interesting is where, because, you know, if we look back, what, what do we always complain about with Bachman books? We complain about the, we don't like the protagonist yeah. aside from long walk. Yeah. Like we, we, we mock Charlie Decker of rage relentlessly on this podcast. And Ben Richards from, from Ben Richards man. was a giant, like we all, when we did the running man, we all like very much disliked him. We and just, also, we don't like to mention road work. Yeah. Road work. And Dawes was, from road work is, is also annoying. And yeah, we really and, disliked and him too. Bad and everything else. You're yeah. definitely and, selling this for me. You should I know. Right? Read all, Absolutely. Like, pages worth of Bachman yeah. books. Well, we'll just say that like, whereas, but on the other hand though, long walk, long those characters terrific. are all extremely yeah. interesting and likable. But I think that what's interesting is here. I actually do like Billy to a degree. I feel like that there is just sort of this, um, the narration, the the approach to the character is very empathetic at first, and yeah. I, what I love is that is that the the real intention, like the obliviousness that Billy has, is something that only emerges once we get deeper into his head. Like when he writes that long letter to Heidi, and that letter is like actually really low key cruel, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. Like I, I think you said first of all, obliviousness. Yeah. Points for using that word. <laughs> Very good job. But the difference between this protagonist and the Bachman book and the other ones is that, yes, Billy is ultimately an asshole, but I'm still interested in his story. Yes. I'm interested in, is he going to get out of this? How much worse is it going to get? Whereas the other characters who were leading Bachman books, I don't really care about them. Yeah. I don't care about their plight. And for 
most of the time I just want them to die as well. You know, <laughs> so that's the, that's the major difference for me with Thinner and his earlier books, his earlier Bachman books. I yeah. Think, I want to say to answer your question of like, when did it turn for me to notice? Hmm. It's like in the beginning, he says he wants when he's like actually looking to track them down, he talks about wanting to apologize. Yeah. And then you slowly hear that kind of the idea of the apology twisting and he adds these kind of like butts to it or like, I'm going to apologize, but really I'm going to tell them that it was their fault. I'm going to add mm. on this. And you're like, okay, so you're just full of shit the entire yeah. time. Like that was kind of the sinking moment. Like you felt it building, like you were saying earlier, Justin, but after a while you're like, okay, I feel nothing for you. And then I think it almost parallels his increased rage over time. Yeah. Like there's a point where you're like, okay, why are you always angry or have these fits of rage? And that kind of laced in with me at least. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's, yeah. And it's interesting too, because I feel like he's affected by those around him too. You know, Mm -hmm. like when he talks to Carrie Rossington or Lita Rossington, and then also talks to um, Hopley. Yeah. Like, especially Mm -hmm. with Hopley. I feel like Hopley is a big turning point for him. Yeah. Because, he he keeps returning back to like Hopley's idea that he wants to like oh you I'll slowly kill him I'll mm-hmm. spare you the details and stuff and just that sort of revenge almost starts it's, I feel like Hopley creates the seed in him to yeah. like try to go after him in some well, way even though he keeps telling Janelle like no violence no I don't want you to harm them he still has that like you know after he goes there you'd think that and he you know he basically confronts him and. Monkey's like, no, you justice is served. This is justice. Yeah. You think like his original initial plan would have been done. He's like, all right, well, he's not going to do anything. But then he starts taking on like Hopley's idea of this, like, all right, no, we're going to slowly get something back on this or like force his hand somehow. In a and way. since the beginning, he had Janelli's name in his head. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like yeah. it always kept popping up. So it was like that was his initial thought in the beginning, which tells you what kind of person he is. But he was like, I have to pretend to be like, this genteel, this this man with who has some sort of um, conservative like, yeah. morals. moral yeah, code. So, yeah. so like that's the only reason he didn't go to Janelli first. Yeah, yeah. No, and totally. then he's yeah, and so but what's interesting to me is like yeah, he doesn't feel the hate doesn't manifest towards Lemke necessarily. It all starts funneling towards his wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that to me is one of the really interesting, strange parts of the book is that, and he uses that phrase a lot in the book is hate. Mm-hmm. Like that he is, there's like a bubbling, intensifying hate towards his wife. And what did she even do? It's like, like, yeah, she was complicit in that she was giving him a hand job. It wasn't like she saw somebody crossing the street and then started like, giving him a hand job. And it's like, <laughs> That's one and, then, thing. The best and it's like, and it's not like, and then, you know, her, uh, conspiring with the doctor to have him committed it's like can you blame her yeah like that's the thing is well that's why in the movie they have to change certain things oh. right isn't she yeah isn't she yeah. sleeping with the doctor well, yeah. that'll be in our next week's movie episode yeah, of yeah. yeah we'll touch but, on that next week but well, that to me was really interesting i feel like you kill i don't know uh, th- that was a theme that i i felt like i had trouble articulating in my own mind but i was so intrigued by was that was that he was funneling all of the rage and all of the hate of his situation towards his wife, which I think says a lot about maybe just marriage politics of that time. Mm-hmm. And also just maybe like, a, you know, obviously sort of a buried um, unconscious misogyny. Absolutely. And yeah. I think the thing is with him, I think initially he does blame everything on Lemke for putting the curse on oh, him. Sure. Yeah. Then he's able to accept the fact that at the end of the day, it's not doesn't begin with Lemke. It's not Lemke's fault. He still cannot accept the fact that it is actually his fault, and now I have to find somebody else to blame. Why not blame the other person in the car with me and my wife? Yeah. That's, where, that's where it ends up, as opposed to ending with him 
it 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 bounces off of him and, and it goes on to his wife, which is obviously an unfair judgment. It's curious when you think of too the role of the different. So I mean, there's not a lot of main characters in this book right. to choose from, and those was it five main women. Mm-hmm. So you have um, Linda. What is his wife? Heidi. Heidi. Um, what's the Carrie's wife's name? Lita. 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 And then no. you have the gypsy woman, and then you have um, Gina. 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 Those are the main women there, and they each have a distinctive role. So Linda is the pure of heart, the moral compass. His wife is that whore that he can direct his rage, but he still has to have some, he has some connection to, because yeah. this is the reason why. You have Gina, who he's still attracted to yeah. after oh, some yeah. things happen in the book, and yet he can't understand why he wants to, he hovers between wanting to fuck her and kill her. I got some pound cake there. Yeah. Lots There's a lot cake. of yeah. things lot of in there. And then you She's have so the old woman. Yeah. yeah. So they all represent these like, and then something that kind of got to me as we're on the subject of how he dresses women was that every time he, when they're in the beach towns, he talks about fat women. Yes. He doesn't say anything except he may, he may mention one or two heavy, like fat guys. Yeah. yeah. And how, and you see how I almost said heavy set men and yep. not fat men. Yep. I had to catch myself. Uh, this, I was like, so what about the men? The the only thing, mm. yeah. Well, that's that's what's always been so interesting. Interesting with me with like the Bachman books is I feel they were so written for that like they're like such <laughs> these pulpy novels machismo. that are written for yeah like with, they're just oozing with machismo. I mean like every one of them. I mean like the Running Man is just literally all about endurance and like the the ending is just like pseudo big male fantasy of just yeah. like being able to take out the man yourself and then yeah. just like even flying like, an like airplane like into flying, a tower, <laughs> flying an airplane into a tower while giving the middle finger. Yeah, which I mean you, it's which they literally call out. You know, so like, silly. Pretty cool. <laughs> so with this one, it just it, it, for me it, it felt more of like one of those books that like. You know, you, you know, it's like, well, the wives of their books, uh, they're Patricia Cornwells and everything, yeah. but here's the Richard Bachman uh, flip side of that. And you have this like high upper class round of characters that you basically, because they all come from that sort of like upper aristocratic, yep. you know, level. Well, and they all have these awful relationships with their women. I mean, yeah. like, you know, Carrie Rossington's fucking awful. Like, he well, how many times how, like, do they mention about him, him grabbing, grabbing, mm, grabbing tick boobs? Grab. Yeah. Tick grabber. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tick grabber. Well, speaking of these people, do we want to start talking about the characters? Well, before we do that, we should talk about the structure a little bit because I oh, think yeah. that, I think that, uh, there's some interesting, well, yeah. I think it, it speaks to kind of a unique structure that he would adopt for Bachman books. And so, yeah, let's pivot over there to structure and format. Look at me. So I feel like Bachman books have a pretty unique structure. There's usually kind of a gimmick to the way the chapters are unfolding in a way that I don't feel like King does in a lot of his other books. Uh, If we think back to The Running Man, uh, it was... What was it? How did it for function again? It was like there was a countdown clock. Yeah, how many yeah. seconds left, I believe. Yeah, it well, was Well, he starts out like again that. here, but then abandons it. I know. I kind of wish he just <laughs> stuck to it because one of the way the chapters are structured in Thinner is his. it starts with his weight, and then as chapters go, the weight, you know, diminishes and diminishes. And I think that's actually a pretty effective um, uh, way to go about this story. So I was actually a little bit disappointed when we got chapters that, you know, were just normal Names of chapters, which like, I feel like, like Billy's like letter story. That's yeah. exactly where I was. It's like Billy's letter. Oh, how cool! And I'm Pie. And I feel like he doesn't do that. I mean, forgive me if I'm if I'm wrong here, but he doesn't name chapters in King books, does he? That doesn't strike me as something he does. No, often. I can't think of it at the top of my head, but he, he does name chapters in his. Oh, does Stan has yeah. a few? I think. 
That's yeah, not, not just sections, but he does have chapter titles for certain books. Okay. Yeah. Some, maybe I just don't really register those, but it's uh, I just find it a little bit strange. But I, I do like the the gimmick of the weight going down. I think it does create an urgency, mm-hmm. um, and I felt like it, it's more effective than the countdown in Running Man because I remember at the time we had criticism that it didn't really have a purpose. It was just like, okay, next chapter was the next countdown. Well, yeah. I remember when that, when that started off, I thought, okay, good, this is actually going to kind of move quick. But then you got to the point where you're like, oh, no, no, there's still like 40 chapters left. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but here you don't know where it's going to end. Right. No, yeah, which is exciting. Well, like, yeah. What's interesting about this book is that everything seems to be taking after the fact. Like, you know, even the incident itself has already happened by the time this starts, really. It yeah. starts you in know? the middle of the story. It starts, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, even like, but that happens concurrently throughout the whole book. Like, you know, even with like the Ginelli stuff, he keeps running off and then he comes back and then he gets, well, yeah. If, if we could save that discussion for, <laughs> for my misery section, yeah. <laughs> but I think we're on the same page. But exactly. Like where it's just like, the, the, but I, I'm not sure it works all the time. Like I like the idea that we start uh, like with yeah. this story in the beginning, but I don't think it works for like some of the smaller stuff. Cause when, yeah. what, what King's great at with his own works is being able to kind of spiral off into like those, like, almost like those short stories that are within a story, which that's probably my favorite you know, facet of his writing is his ability to kind of do that. But with as Bachman, I don't think he's ever really been able to do that well. I mean, I think the long walk, he does a pretty good job at it, but most of the time it just, it feels so clumsy. Like I think back at rage when all of a sudden he just wedges in these like short stories. Let me tell you about a nightmare I had. Yeah. 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 That's a great example. I think, in terms of this being the most King-like in terms of writing style, I think it is. I mean, that's where I think yeah. King was almost getting cocky. And I think the yeah. reason that, you know, guys like Steve Brown, who tracked him down, pretty much figure. I think, I honestly think the guy was reading this going, this has to be a King book. And then he got to the point where the guy goes, you're starting to sound like a Stephen King novel. And he's yeah. like, all right, fuck it. It. Okay. I'm going, yeah. to, the, I'm going sure. to check the records. No, but I think, you know, I remember when we were talking about The Shining. The Shining is a really great example of a chapter beginning with events having un unfolded mm-hmm. and we're seeing the outcome of that mm-hmm. and then the rest of the chapter is very much like uh jack being in bed reliving the experience of it and so we're alternating between the aftermath of it and then yeah, the the, the yeah the actual thing happening and i feel like that's uh in this the whole book almost like you said it we begin after he's already run down yeah. the woman we either and go to a memory that billy's having or a story that's being told to billy yeah, yeah. As, as it goes on and yeah. that is definitely a very king-like quality that mm-hmm. i think people were probably recognizing and especially at the time when maybe a lot of other writers weren't adopting that kind of style and then also i think uh another good point that people in some of the essays i was reading about the book people were pointing out you know king's penchant for interrupting a scene or dialogue with uh, an italicized section yeah. mm-hmm. where it's like the inner monologue or some flashback. other flashback like well, happening sort of we well, love scrapbooking oh, explain scrapbooking well scrapbooking is like you know he just loves i mean like look at carrie yeah carrie is more of you know an obvious one just because he uses external materials and media like he has like like news reports and all this other stuff but and then he has letters and and books but, on the events but uh, you know as his career went on he does like to kind of switch up the format a little bit and yeah. like kind of go in the inner monologue or have like a, you know, a piece of paper that, you know, might have like a letter or something or some tattered note or something like that. But with this and here, yeah, I could see he kind of is still flirting with that a little bit. Maybe not as much. and It's not as ostentatious as like, nah, that's not the right word, but it's not as like, it's not as apparent yeah, as sure. it is in the King books. But like for, for this, it's like, you could still tell it's there. Like all of this, like the whispers of Stephen King are all in here, yeah. you know, even down to like the way 
he does some of the foreshadowing, even though you want to talk about misery, there's a lot of foreshadowing in the, in, in the misery section that we're going to have today. Because <laughs> uh, usually he's great. He's like an ace at the, at the foreshadowing, but there's some stuff here that's just like, oh man, so clumsy. But Well, there's even some stuff here where you're like, wow, this section is going on way too long. This could have been mm-hmm. condensed. You're like, this is just like some of those Stephen King books I just read. <laughs> <laughs> um, you just put it perfectly. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. There's, there were moments. But yeah. also, I, I don't want to, oh, well, no, I want to interject for one moment. Like, the dream sequences mm-hmm. that were going on mm-hmm. in there. And as someone who's watched the movie, I was kind of disappointed they weren't in there because I wanted to yeah. see. Like, I had an issue while reading it because it was disruptive to me and it seemed, which I guess is the point because dreams are disruptive yeah. and, like, they kind of throw you off. But I had trouble kind of connecting through because it seemed like it was thrown in there. He was going to go on this 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 storyline that I wanted to follow and kind of, like, I guess, hint to what's going to happen, and it just kind of would end suddenly, and we're in another part of the book, or... And it just, for me, I kind of got confused or lost sure. sometimes. Yeah. It would like be like this, psych, we're not going to do that. Like, we're yeah. going to do something else, and it's just like a... Like, yeah, where I, is this going? Yeah. I, I didn't mind the dreams, but like you said, I think, I didn't like where they would, where he would wake up to where he was when he would wake up. Like, I feel like they would skip certain events, like you said, yeah. and kind of jump around, which, yeah, I, I hear you. Um, this is, I thought, I thought this was really telling uh, from the Washington Post article where King was interviewed, basically revealing that he was Bachman. Um, the, uh, the writer actually digs into a little bit of what distinguished King at that time, and this is the mid-80s. And uh, this is something that I think would not distinguish him now because we're such a kind of um, pop culture obsessed culture, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, but the way that they frame it here, I find really interesting. They said King is famous or infamous, depending on which critic you listen to, for his use of uh, the brand name Detrius of modern culture. Throughout his work, he invokes the names of the most familiar household products, despite the intense realism of his best fiction or to deepen the intense realism of his best fiction. So I thought that that was a and they say in a wry acknowledgement of his own omnipresence in our daily lives, King uses his own brand name and thinner. You were starting to sound like a Stephen King novel for a while there. So I find it interesting that another way to distinguish King's writing, at least in the 80s, was the way that he would call out brand name products or um, TV shows. Because that, that that's, Which in hindsight we know is is emblematic of like Spielberg or yeah, Zemeckis yeah. or any of the, uh, the directors that were coming out around and that I time. And I have never had an issue with that at all because I feel that just puts us into our world that much more. Yeah, it exactly. Makes, yeah. There's a scene now that makes so much more sense where he talks to, he's talking to Lita um, Rossington, mm-hmm. and he talks about how she almost brains herself, and he lists specifically the brand of table and how much it costs. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, huh, that's weird. And it's kind of passed over, but I didn't know, like, that's something that King kind of likes to throw in until later when you keep peeing Hertz or Miller Lite yeah. or, mm-hmm. oh, like, all these different... Well, if there's something that King really kind of revels in, it's minutia, you know? Yeah. And I think that's... It kills him sometimes. For better or worse. <laughs> know, for better for or better worse. Or for worse, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like we talk about that in a lot of episodes. Just, like, remember... Uh, wait, who... Was anyone here for Talisman last time? I, I was think not. so. I was yeah. not. Uh, in Talisman, we kind of had an extended section because there's, like, a bit where uh, one of the characters is on a raft under a dock in a storm and trying to climb a ladder. And it's 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 something... It's an action that 
could be explained. I get that it's difficult in like one page. This whole section goes on for like eight pages. We were losing our minds because it was like we understand that the water is choppy and that the ladder is slippery. This is epic. We get it. I know. And it was like nearing the climax. It drives. And this is I think we'll touch on the Janelli stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait. It's just that minutia. I think think a third of my notes, believe it or not, most of my notes are about Janelli, much like most of the book is about that chapter. Janelli's Janelli's adventures. But uh, but no, but there are sections where um, Billy comments specifically on what he's watching on TV mm-hmm. or music he's listening to, mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, he mentions like all the pins that are on his daughter's purse, you like know, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, and it's like all King music. It's yeah. like you know, if you know King, you know the kind of stuff that he references. And he references like at one point, and he's talking about like the the. Janelli references like what the song was playing yes. like, yes. under, under my phone, which yeah, yeah. yeah like which is interesting because at that point I think he's trying to create like a soundtrack. Yeah, mm. you know, like he's trying to make it very cinematic. Yeah, uh, which is kind of what King has been doing since I want to say God, like maybe Christine. That's a good question. Yeah, you know? like, like he does definitely delve in. He does delve into sort of things that would play great on screen, but yeah. don't necessarily well, play great. Well, in books he becomes sometimes. self-aware with himself because at that point. You know, his works had already been translated to screen. So, yeah. like, I mean, pretty early with Carrie it was only like what two years after. Well, Carrie was really so, like, what rocketed him to stardom was yeah. the film adaptation. Yeah. So I think honestly, like by the early '80s, he became incredibly mm-hmm. self-aware about that, and which is why you have these more sweeping cinematic chapters that he wants to make it seem as if you're watching the movies that mm-hmm. he because you know he probably know at that time a lot of people are reading his books were because they saw the movies also. So yeah, definitely, know. that's interesting. And I think that while we could discuss sort of the whole Janelli chapter uh, that we're all referencing under structure and format because it is a pretty big deviation mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of the book structure and format. I think we'll save it because we'll probably want to touch on that a bit in maybe both Heroes and Villains and in Misery a little bit. I will guarantee. (laughs) You want to talk about about foreshadowing? (laughs) Stick around. Maybe Uh, we'll talk about... Did you guys have any other thoughts on the structure and format of the book at all? The way it unfolds, the way the language may be, things of that nature... I think he nailed it, especially talking about the chapter titles and whatnot. Yeah, I think that I think that it's a pretty straightforward book. I mean, he's obviously not trying to reinvent the wheel here. This is a very pulpy um, uh, book that is, you know, I think very much in line with the other Bachman books. There are a few flourishes here and there, but, you know, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, I I will say I do like that he still maintains that sort of uh, mystery. Yeah, that's great about some of uh, King's writing. You know, like the whole Carrie Rossington thing is just, I think, probably the best reason to read this book. Yes. Is just the way that they unravel all of those details mm-hmm. with his discussion, mm-hmm. Billy's discussion with Lita, and that scene with Lita is like one of the best yeah. scenes. It's, it's the best scene. One of my favorite scenes. Like yeah. it's just it's just so well written in the sense that the way that he f- structures how you find out about what happened to Carrie. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's just haunting, and it's even the same way with Hopley. Like yeah. all those, yeah. like he, you could tell, like that's well, like, Hopley stuff's very cinematic too. It is the way they he plays with the light in that scene. Yeah. yeah. Are you, and, Oh, go ahead, Mike. Sorry. But it's just very like you could tell like that's him in his comfort zone. Yeah. When he's able to do that. And then it's only when he starts getting into this like sort of road trip thing that you kind of just like you almost feel like he's just figuring this out as he's going. Well, the book is so simple in a good way. It's not it's not yeah. simplified or it's just simple mm-hmm. for so long. And then the over explanation <laughs> kicks in. Yeah. But I also like the fact that this is a book about people that have been cursed. 
that's your basic plot. That's it. They're not trying to make it anything bigger than it is. It's just about curse and how do we break the curse. Uh, yeah. And, and it's, keep it simple. And those curses are very interesting. And they're very, yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, in a, in a funny way, it's almost like the least interesting one is the one we're following. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. we can talk about maybe a little bit later. But uh, on that note, let's talk about the people who occupy this cursed world in a little section we like to call Heroes and Villains. I'm going to have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to Heroes and Villains, formerly titled Zeros and Villains, which I will always bring up. Why do you always bring it up? (laughs) I don't know. We always try to figure out the real mystery is why do we call it Zeros and Villains? Because we wanted to. Characters we didn't like and characters we liked. And the ones that, like the marginalized characters. Uh, We weren't always going to cover like all the main characters. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we got rid of that. (laughs) We ditched that. So, Zeros and. I'm just kidding. Um. (laughs) So I guess let's kick off. We've talked a lot about Billy um, a little bit, and this is sense that he is sort of a low-key villainous character who is also very relatable in a lot of ways. But um, what other characters stand out to you guys? Like when you think about if it's not Billy or if it's not Heidi, like who stands out to I you? I guess somebody. Yeah. Uh, he's described as a New York hoodlum who had apparently developed, <laughs> who had apparently developed the habit of shooting the competition over the years. Richard Ginelli. <laughs> the Hammer. Richard the, Richie Richard, the Hammer. Richie the Richie Hammer. Richie the Hammer Ginelli. Let's talk about Richie Ginelli. How, like, Let's what are your overall him. thoughts on him? Um, you know, he's kind of alluded to for the first, what, 150 pages? Yeah. Uh-huh, before he just comes charging into the book. <laughs> just it's really about him. Like, like he storms the Traveler's Camp. He storms his way into thinner later on. Um, he reminds me, actually, of the character Magliori from uh, Roadwork. Yes. I can see that. In terms of being a generic Italian mobster. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, generic to eating the point like, where... Eating, eating spaghetti and, you know, I'm not kidding. Like, well, yeah, like, he, like, he owns an Italian restaurant. Yeah, he owns an Italian restaurant. Like, one of his first lines of dialogue is just him talking about his dishes. Yeah. I mean, it's just, he calls him Paisan. He like, always calls him William. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Never built William. Yeah. But at the same time, isn't Ginelli kind of lovable? I agree. I yeah. think so. Until until you see him uh, smack, well, smacking around yeah. Gina, calling her a whore constantly. Yeah. He's somehow like almost, <laughs> until, until, you, until you discover that, oh no, he's actually a psychopath. He's almost the moral compass of the book. I know. Yeah. He's, almost, he's, he's the one that has like leave. the most like, you know, straightforward, this is who I am in the stories, but there's no ambiguity about him to himself, whereas everybody else has got this weird... Is Billy an asshole? Is Billy the hero? Is he the villain of this piece? You know. Well, you had mentioned he reminded you of Andrew Dice Clay. I, oh, the, the problem. I will say a personal problem. Dice. So, especially later on, some of his chapters get way too long. So I just kept picturing him as Andrew Dice Clay, um, as Janelli in those jackets and those that legs to do. And so then I saw, I went to the docks, and you know, <laughs> and I saw this guy with his hand on his girlfriend's ass, and they said, "Hey, if that was my girl, I'd kick your ass." <laughs> and that's straight from the book, yeah. by the way. And I, 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 I kept thinking, like, "Oh my god!" Now it's just dice with like his cut off jean jacket, and like, "Oh, Billy, you're losing weight. Oh, you should get that <laughs> I'm due back hey. at uh, Studio Sixty. Uh, um, so yeah, that's where I am on this. Part of me feels like he wrote this just about Janelli first as like a side thing, <laughs> yeah. and he was like, "Wait." 
wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can totally hook this into it. It was called a uh, pizza pie. <laughs> pizza pie. No, Richard I, Bachman's pizza he's trying pie. trying to break into a new genre of books. I think oh, that's yeah. almost... Like, I think like, that's like, very true. And the cover, instead of it being that... It's like a, it's like a prison thumbprint. <laughs> like, oh. Because it really does kind of become another book, like, in the latter half, once we really do yeah. settle in with Janelle. Yeah. And I do wonder if this was a case of, gra- like, maybe a, an aborted story that he kind of grafted onto the end here. I think you know? his story is, is bloated, but I do love the his finish. Yeah. Yes. I see my thing is I, the I, finish is is really strong. It's just it, it takes a long time for it to get there and it's so late in the book. Yeah. His appearance that you're at that point you're just you just kind of want the story to start wrapping up. Yeah, cuz I mean honestly, it takes a while for Billy to actually just hit the road. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is fine because you don't it's not like you start this and you think to yourself when is he going to hit the road? No. You know, I I'm, I'm just with them on the journey of talking to local people who have been affected by this person and then maybe have it end with him. Billy appeared at the grounds. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be like Did we need 25, that journey to get later. there? All right. He's stopped off at the gas station. But I think you know? what's important about Janelli, and I think, well, it's because Billy is so battered, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's he's losing so much weight. He's, and he has nobody in his corner. He has nobody in his corner. And yeah. that's, I think, what makes yeah. Janelli so interesting is that he's so kind to mm-hmm. Billy. He's yeah. the only one that actually believes him. I yeah. think like, Billy hugs him at one point, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Like, well, Billy is so grateful for the him. The thing is that he believes him even though he doesn't believe. And, and there's something he says where, like, um, assholes are only people who don't believe what's in front what of them. What they see, what's yeah. in they front see, of them, yeah. And he was like, I'll believe it if I see it. And he's like, I see this, so I believe oh, you. Man. And that right there, which is what goes back to the point of making him such a likable character is that he, yeah, is an asshole. I mean, he admits he's an asshole and yeah. he's a terrible person, but he also like deeply cares yeah. for the people he cares about. There's yeah. no if, ands, or buts. But he falls into what I think is the real is the real strength of this book, which is sort of the slow realization that the person we're dealing with is not who we think they are necessarily. I love that. Like, I love that Janelli, like he comes across like, like a mobster with a heart of gold, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's so kind. He's there to help. Uh, Billy and everything, but then when you really do start to see, this is the the good part of his multiple assaults on the uh, <laughs> Romani camp. And then I went back. Is, uh, yeah, it's like, and then I went back, and then I went and back then, again, and then I went back again. You think that's bad. <laughs> I know, but then it's like when you actually see him with Gina and how rough he is with her, yeah. and just the casual way that he speaks about her to Billy even, and just the words he uses, and there is such like a deep, deep internalized bloodlust and violence there, and that's when you really do start seeing, and they do call it out in the book that, you know, oh yeah, like this guy, like, it's not just a pure friendship thing. No. This is, he really, like, he's a guy who's probably been out of the, the violence game for a while, yeah. and he's, me, like, loving this. Yeah, part of me almost hopes that they, like, if there was a Janelli like, side moment. Yeah. Because I want to know what happens during his serene walks. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. When he's you find screaming out he's a psych- inside. Yeah, since you find out he's a psychopath, really, you're like, so what do you do on your serene walks? Like, Ugh. what's going through your head? Yeah, and I just kind of love that, that um, you know, it was there the whole time. We're told that we're dealing with a mobster who's known to shoot people mm-hmm. and everything, but then he's so nice, we just forget about that, and we're like, oh, the it's the upper crust suburban people that are the real villains, you know what I mean? But yeah. then you're just like, oh, no, I guess not. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like, everybody's no, really, a monster. Everybody's kind kill. of shitty in this world, but, but you know, there is sort of a, a genuine relief uh janelli brings a lightness oddly enough when he does appear and he is there for billy because we're dealing with men turning into crocodiles men turning into human pimples we're turning you know we're dealing with these like really cruel cocaine snorting doctors and stuff and then this guy shows up and he's cracking jokes and he's being kind and i think that is a really that gives the book a really interesting texture and makes him a really essential character even though i hate the way in a lot of ways that they structure 
um, sort of his thrust in the latter half of the yeah. book. But I do like the role he serves and it gives it an extra ounce of like pulp. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was kind of hurt when the, he finds his hand. Mm. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. That it's a great it's, finish. It, it's, what it's happened a, to him, though? I want to know. Like, did know. she kill him there? Because there's no blood there. Like, how did she kill him? Well, he says he's gunned down, but then you they wonder. They found his body in a basement yeah. in an apartment building. Like, did they torture him? Well, yeah. they yeah, they said he was gunned down. But, oh, but like they that. said oh. it said in the news story that like th- it a was large caliber or something. Yeah, they said it was a large caliber or something, but that it was like strange. Yeah. Oh, so it probably he probably she probably like tied him down and slingshot him. Well, she, yeah. What's that other guy that he hired to um, follow them? Yeah. He had the oh, hole through God. his head. So I'm like, yeah. what kind of slingshot is she using that yeah. she can put holes through people's skulls and through hands and yeah. hands and? Is it strange that this is somebody else, another female king character who uses a slingshot? Yeah, ah. Bev does too. Bev and it. grown up oh, Bev, yeah. and not too uh, far after. This, we'll be talking uh, about it in a couple months. Yeah. Um, no, but there, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot to love about Janelle and a lot to hate. But uh, yeah, you know. I think, yeah, I think it's an, I think he's an interesting character who is also has a lot of problems because he, the stereotypical aspects of him are almost laughable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that it feels cartoony. Yeah. It's like, it's like uh, strangely enough, it's like Fat Tony from The Simpsons. Yeah. Really who is, is by, played by yeah. Joe Montaigne, who yeah. plays. That's so yeah. funny. Uh, other characters that maybe stood out to you guys. Michael Houston, I have my notes here. I just wrote, Dr. Cokehead makes racist jokes, real jerk. Yeah. <laughs> like, if there's, like, a more... Just, just like, the most o- oblivious, privileged, like, just drops tan. jokes at the drop of the hat, like, with no contact. It's just like, oh, my God, this guy. I know. I just love him. I Pure just, 80s. I just love him pulling cocaine out, like, when he's got his guy in his office, well, you know? Well. Toot sweet. <laughs> well, they, well, and they cast him so perfectly in the movie, too. Who plays him in the uh, movie? Sam Freed, who was in, like, the... He was in, like, The Wire. Uh, Who's he in The Wire? He plays the, um, the executive editor of The Baltimore Sun. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like yeah, he was in like uh he was in a couple other things, but in the movie he's just so he captures that sort of like that really ritzy country club Trust me kind of lecherous or like just kind of like yeah. this weird feeling you get of just like don't touch me because yeah. there's something tainted about you. Yeah. Yes. Even though you're still charming enough for me to go like, well, oh. maybe he's got a point. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it, but it, but in the book it's so funny because I could see why he would get fed up with Billy. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's what that's what you know. In terms of all the over explanation that like King or Bachman per se like drills into this book, you do believe the characters' motives and understand. Like you do the 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 the, the, the like the deductions mm-hmm. that every character makes, especially Billy. They all come off as very real. So like when you have like Houston's reactions to him on the phone, they're absolutely yeah. insane and you understand it. Why you don't like ever think like, oh, this guy's being a dickhead to Billy. You just think, yeah. no, he's being like incredibly practical, you know, even though I got it's, 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 it's hard not being able to talk about the movie, too, because mm-hmm. I feel like the changes in the movie show the blemishes in the book because the changes they make in the movie are clearly made so that you can kind of go forward with the narrative in a way where you can kind of still believe that the protagonist has some sort of point or sure. he's a good guy. Yeah. And whereas you read this mm. book, he, you, you, I feel like that's the easy way out. Though. It is the easy I way do out. too. It is, but I'm just it saying makes like sense in terms of, yeah, but to make an easier narrative where people can watch it and be like, okay, I want to be with this guy. But in the book, you, you know, in hindsight, it actually seems like, like, you know, like Houston's not that bad of a guy in a way. In a I way. didn't like him in the book either. You know, but I he's not, have, I know he's a scumbag, any, but any like, quotes, but no, but his yeah. reasoning, but his reasoning for Billy is yeah. not as bad. Like in the movie, he's like, he comes off as this like shady like person, but in like this one, it's like in the, or in the book, 
they the way that Billy has to has like this mistrust for him seems so like well he's spouting out like you know supernatural things yeah and he's clearly losing weight like he is being affected and yeah. they're just like dude we got to lock you down and take care of you yeah. because you're not letting us do that yeah and that you know same with Heidi like like she wants the best for him mm-hmm. she just doesn't believe him yeah. and I understand that like not believing is shitty but it's not a crime when no. you're spouting some kind of supernatural nonsense. and to be fair I would be the same exact way yeah I would be the person saying uh sure you got cursed okay you you need to go to the doctor yeah if you don't go to the doctor I'm going to lock you well up. fuck you I'm I not, if think... I ever get cursed I'm never going to you yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't because I'll be like because I'll, I'll be the only person using reason <laughs> <laughs> and I'll die <laughs> Being possessed. Okay. Well, it's cool. I know a bunch of mobsters, so, you know. Oh, yeah, John Janelli. Good to know. I think it's interesting. Uh, oh, I had a point, and I just, like, lost it as soon as I was coming back to it. Oh, that's okay. Um, speaking of how... We were talking about Heidi, right? We were talking yeah, about yeah. Heidi. We were talking about um, uh, Houston. Houston, that's what it was. We have a problem. Okay, so there's a point where Houston, he or Billy's having his paranoid delusion about um, Houston or what he's planning about. Basically, he doesn't want to help him because this is way outside of my range. I don't. I've never dealt with this, and I want something that's easy. Mm-hmm. Don't give me things that are like out that are supernatural because it's, it falls outside of what I'm comfortable or want to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was pretty interesting yeah. look. Like it, it's totally plausible that that's exactly how his intention is not like goodwill towards Billy. It's just like, I don't want to deal with this, but I also, my responsibility as a doctor to make myself like wash my hands clean. If I get you into this facility, I can push it off on someone else. I don't have to take responsibility and I can go back to my privileged life and forget about all these things that have made me sniff a few more bumps of cocaine. Yeah. Yeah. Cheat on my wife and everything. Exactly. Um, Other characters that maybe stand out. You know who I liked actually was uh, that old man that he talked to in the bar. Oh, uh, I thought it was this kind yeah. of a well-rendered sort of old old character who was like, Flash. Uh, his oh yeah, wait, what was it? Flash, Flash? was the nickname. Yes, he had. yes, his Cr- secret name. Well, great name. Because yeah. then after a while he's like, all right, you get out of here. I know. I kind of like, like that. I like I know, how I just, all the characters are all like, uh, come on, now that I'm done with you, get out of here. Like the the, the guy that works at the carnival. Yeah, the kid's like, yeah, out. you're not really good for you're business. Kinda, yeah, you're creepy. <laughs> Um, That's from the carnival guy saying it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I um, I thought there was like a couple like just small uh, characters that really sort of created help create that pulpy world and had a lot of texture to them. You know, just like these old these old like you know bedraggled kind of men and stuff like that. I enjoyed. There was there was one interesting. I, mean, I guess this would fall more in the cemetery, but there was one little character that King, where I really saw King's work come out, uh, was when. Uh, Billy's walking around, and one of the little kids yes, sees him, and then, King. L- oh, and then it later go, and then he keeps nightmare. going, and he talks about how like the kid is going to have that nightmare about the scarecrow eating or like making Shame. him eat oranges or something. so creepy. That was in my cemetery. Yeah, yeah. So, but but I love like little things like that, like characters that he keeps keeps peppering in there. Or that, but if we want to talk about a core character, uh, let's talk about uh, Duncan Hopley. Yes, yes. I feel really bad for this guy because this curse kind of taps into an old childhood fear of his. Oh, so we get a little yeah. bit of a, almost kind of like a Pennywise it thing here with uh, him like kind of creeping out about like a past fear of his coming back to creep him on. Cause like the other two, not so much. Well, you might, you maybe, uh, maybe Carrie was afraid of alligators. <laughs> they could be true. Well, yeah. I think the good point that you mentioned earlier, well, off off mic, Aisha, oh. when you said that the name of his chapter was Scales of Justice. Ah. Mm. The only cheesy pun in the yeah. book. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the Olympia's like, uh, Scales, Justice, Spinner. Crocodile. Bam. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say that uh, with Duncan, it's kind of tragic because this is a guy that probably was a very loner type 
person his whole life. Also seemed like a jerk. He's a jerk. Mm -hmm. He's a jerk. But, I mean, he blows his brains out and he's alone. I mean, like, King does a great job in being able to kind of unravel his what's happened to him as well. You know, obviously you had mentioned yeah. Randall, it's very cinematic, the use of uh, light and dark in here, but just the, the state of being for him, mm-hmm. the way, the way he paints that is really dark and miserable because the, he goes off in this whole thing, by saying like, I could live well yeah. for a while, you know, and just have people make the deliveries for groceries and, uh, you know, and, and watch my game shows and, and whatnot. And it's just like, he's like, I'm never going to go off to like Bermuda with the, you know, the bell of the ball or something like that. But I feel like a lot of thinner is also just like, how f- far are you willing to go? Not only just with guilt, but also just like, um, you can almost make this like tie this with like, uh, whether you like diseases, yeah, you know, just like how long are you willing to go? Like how long are you willing like you to reason hold on? Existing. Yeah, like how w- before all the humanities. But it's in. like that. But I mean, I think also though that's it's like guilt too. Like yeah. How long can you live with this guilt? Like as long as it continues to manifest within yeah. you, and it's the same with you know, and how how much will you try to n- deny what it really is? Yeah. Which is I think we see with Carrie, uh, him turning into a lizard, and just like you know the various ways that they've they continue to assert that it's just skin cancer. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, which is the same thing that Billy's going through where they keep asserting that it's some weird metabolism issue and not a curse. Obviously. And then, then there's always a reason for what's happening. Well, Hopley, they just reason that it's just a, an old flare up. Yeah. yeah. With this. I mean, that's, and that's to me for me, rather bad flare up. <laughs> well, that's to me. That's like, I feel like it's even more tragic than either of the two of them, just because it's just like this. It's like, Oh, well no, they were going to write this off as just this old, high school thing yeah. that that you know well because Lumpke probably knows his face and he probably had like pockmarks yeah for, if he had really bad acting when he was younger and I knew that that would I'm serious and that would oh. probably oh, really bother him the most but Lemke also oh interesting you know, yeah. Lemke also can he has the seeing power yeah, mm-hmm. yeah they mentioned true. it briefly yeah that he I, has like this ability to you know know you're, yeah. I wish well, I had well, the seeing power. No. Well, it's actually kind of creepy with like how Lemke like pops up everywhere in different areas. Like Hopley talks about how he was uh, like out drinking with his parents, and then at a new place they'd never been before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then yeah. he pops into the the he popped out of the bathroom mm. when he was waiting. Like how long was he in the bathroom waiting for? Yeah. Hopley? Who else needed to go? To yeah. And like Carrie, like they were at like a street festival or something, and he just emerged from a group of people. Which is also what happened with Billy too, though, right? Weren't they no, Billy was outside the courthouse. courthouse. Oh, was that yeah. the courthouse? Okay, yeah. that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. And like, but that's so spooky to me, just that idea of him emerging through the crowd, you know, and yeah. touching him. And that's just so freaky to me. Just I somebody f- touching my face, period. I know. Yeah. I also just don't like being touched by that's strangers. Weird. I feel like <laughs> that was like the, face. the scariest part for me in the whole book was just like him, like a stranger touching you out of nowhere. <laughs> Especially somebody yeah. whose nose is rotting away. Right. Yeah, like, oh, really, we're good. <laughs> I really got into Maybe a fist bump. Like, almost. I don't know. Oh yeah, he he loved delving uh, deep into what his rotted nose looked like. Oh, there was a God. lot of that going Jesus. on. But um, I kind of wish, in terms of characters that I wish we got a little bit more of. I well, I think that. I mean, for me, I want to. I would. I would have loved a Janelli type uh, diversion mm-hmm. into uh, Carrie's trip to the hospital and him slowly turning into an alligator. That to me is very very interesting. Well, it, yeah, I mean, I like I, it. I, I kind of like just. Totally being left to use my own imagination. Yeah, yeah. You're in right. Some, in some regards, like, you know, be careful what you wish for because maybe there'll be a lot of. And then I went back to the hospital. Yeah. And then <laughs> I noticed I woke up at two o'clock. And well, just, that's like how it is for Hopley because the whole time you know it's affecting because you've already figured out in the beginning of the book that all three of them are going to get cursed because they're all connected, yeah, basically. Yeah. So you're like, what has happened to Hopley? He's just kind of the side thing. You're kind of waiting for them to get to it. And then finally you're there and you're like, oh, yeah, that's right, Hopley. 
And when you first are introduced to him in the beginning, he's kind of like a side character. Mm-hmm. And he has this air of like how Billy describes him. He's like handsome and he's got it together and he's kind of moderating things in his own way. He's like a puppeteer controlling everything. It looks like there might be some chaos or anything like that, but he's got it under control. And then you see him later and he's this shell of a monster slithering down the hallway, keeping the dark shadows and then has this like deep insight now suddenly to kind of like this was it what am i thinking of a reference of kind of like this troll who has this magical key for the protagonist to kind of sure to the next level yeah. yeah he's been left to his own devices and when you're left to your own devices and you only have yourself to talk to that's when you can really find out the worst of yourself <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah get really dark here yeah <laughs> but i i think also though i would i felt like we we were sort of teased with learning more about like the other people in the Romani camp, like uh, the kid who juggles and then, you know, even Gina, we didn't get a ton about her. We got a little bit, but it was usually her being, it was mainly with her being being either really fuckable or Janelle beating the shit out of her. Or being being adept with a slingshot. Yeah. 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 And which is cool, but it's like, I felt like there were other characters within that world that maybe could have been used to humanize that her world. Boyfriend's, a uh, or her boyfriend or her brother. brother. Her brother's brother. a huge uh, Bruce Springsteen fan. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I hey. just felt like like those were things that, I mean, maybe it was unnecessary, but I feel like it could have maybe humanized well, that world a little bit more. I get what you're saying, because like when um, Janelle goes back to the camp later and you meet, he's talking to that couple, mm-hmm. and he starts, King starts going to this kind of background for them and describing them in great detail what kind of people they are. And then you're just kind of, once he gets, Janelle gets everything he needs. That's yeah, all you get. You, it, don't, yeah. you get a taste of those characters. Yeah. And that was interesting. Um, but, but I kind of yeah. like, to, to Justin's point, like, I, I kind of like that we don't know a lot about the, you know, the Romani. Sure. Just because, yeah, I think to a point, because the worst case scenario is you enter into Firestarter, mm-hmm. where you spend w- way too much time with the shop. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Whereas you shouldn't have spent any time mm-hmm. with the goings on at the shop, at least until the, the end of that book. Like, the thing yeah, that's, that's scary to me is, like, when Janelle, when Janelle is you know, trying, to, trying to infiltrate the camp and what have you, like, you don't know how big that camp really is. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's just like, and you don't know how far reaching they are. And you don't even really know what they're capable of doing because we don't know. So we, we know so little about them. Yeah. And I think it also speaks to like the actual truth of, you know, those people too. And then in the sense like people aren't really interested in knowing about them. They just want, they just know what they're like. And yeah. they have their yeah. stories and they stick to that white man yeah. story, as I said in there. Yeah. Well, it's interesting they, too. The, the camps pick up and leave and they go somewhere yep. else. They pick up and leave, go somewhere And they else. drive these creepy cars and they smell and all that. Stuff. And that's NRA it. NRA you know? bumper stickers. That yeah. was a yeah. very important <laughs> point that he wanted yeah. to make. Timeless. Timeless. <laughs> yeah. But the, um, it was interesting that the old man was, you know, it was uh, kind of, Distinguished that he was the only supernatural one that, you know, Gina mentions that he's like the last yeah. of a certain yeah. tribe of people or, type, you know, um, Tedu's, the main Tedu's Limpke. Yeah, Tedu's. Yeah. Tedu's. Like um, that he was special in that way. And I kind of loved that idea that they were protecting him to a certain degree, that he mm-hmm. was beaten down to, you know, he is like very old. He's not like eternal or anything. And there was the sense that he was on the last legs of his life. Mm-hmm. And that I like, I guess what I'm getting at is is uh, I did see some really intriguing humanity in Gina and in her brother and just the sense of how they were trying so hard to protect him Mm -hmm. and that they were standing by the curse um, 
because it felt important to their culture in a weird way. And so it was just an interesting, and maybe it was just the right amount that I was intrigued by, you know, and we didn't need any more, but it did humanize them a little bit. And it even humanized like, uh, Taru's a, a bit just in the sense that, you know, it, it made him feel more than just pure evil. It made yeah. him feel like kind of a weak old man who was expending the last of his power. Well, well, and of course, Taru's Lemke's great grandson, Mark Lemke, Mark Lemke played, uh, infield for the Atlanta Braves Boo. in the late 80s, early 90s. So they, they could have really touched upon him wanting like, to live long enough to see his son make it to the major leagues. The only time I, we want your sports knowledge wow. is when King tweets about sports. Wow. I, I would say, for, uh, there we go. for me, I, I, I think Lemke is very, very pragmatic. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, granted, he goes and does all this, these, these insane curses, but it's only because he didn't Still get pragmatic. justice. But it's very pragmatic. You know, and at the end, when on page 291 of uh, the Signet novel edition, I love like my favorite line of the whole book is when he's just pleading with Billy at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, you know, I feel a little sorry for you. Not much, but a little like once you might have been Pokal strong. Now your shoulders are broken. Nothing is your fault. There are reasons you have friends. Why not eat your own pie? White man from town. You die, but you die strong. Yeah. He's, there's like a nobility to his words there. And He's like the only reasonable person if you really think about well, it, even just, though he's not really reasonable. He's like, own sense. up to your shit, yeah. man. Yeah. He's like, there are reasons you have people, you know, like yeah. we, we, and I feel like in that way, the book is sort of this larger comment on, you know, upper crust privilege culture. I mean, we're watching, you know, this, this whole sense of like, it's not like you were saying earlier, Justin, just about uh get the really sick people I, I think Aisha you were saying this too it's like get the really sick people foist them off on on the clinics and everything mm. and let me just go but like Houston just like let me go back to you know yeah. prescribing people with high blood pressure that's all and so I can snort my cocaine etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's just like let us all put the real problems to the side and let us exist in our bubble that's like our the push yeah like, the you know. push yeah and it's like um let us just exist here and I think that that is very that is sort of the low-key um condemnation I think the larger condemnation of this is sort of that upper crust suburban culture. Limousine liberals. Limousine liberals. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> Being sarcastic. Uh, no, it's uh, but I, I find, <laughs> but I just find it like really interesting that um, there is just that why that grander, larger sense of of um, you know I feel sorry for you because you people don't seem to be able to. Uh, you know, take responsibility Mm -hmm. and look life in the eye, you know? I can't think of many King books where you don't necessarily come around to the villain at the end and then kind of turn against the quote-unquote protagonist as much as you do in in this book. Yeah. 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 I mean, especially where you see reason, I should say, where you see, like, honestly, what would I do if I was Lemke and my daughter was, or was his, it's his daughter, right? It was his daughter. Because you don't know it at first. If, what would I do if somebody got away with it and I had these powers? And I was and I was vengeful. What would I do? Yeah, I I'm not gonna say I wouldn't do exactly what he did. Well, I'd probably figure Shame. out a way to like don't don't use cross, a curse wait, like on, don't on cross my own. me by the way. <laughs> what? <laughs> what, what are you saying? I'd figure out a way you can't find me if I was. <laughs> that's the chief, but. That's, yeah, well, he he should do a he should have done some uh, better recon to not be followed by a uh, Penchke or whatever his name was. <laughs> right. uh, but, uh, but I I I've been, if I was a uh, Lemke, I would probably use my uh, powers to figure out a way to cure my cancer. That's what I would do. Mm. Well, maybe um, he can't, so he takes out other people, kind of like how Billy. Can't figure a way to solve his own woes, so he's going to blame his wife for everything. A part of me thought that the cancer was kind of like the curse of his magic. Because, like, they talk about a lot of the curse of the Romani people, especially at the end of, like, God cursed us. And I feel like there's a price to him using his magic. So if he's going to use it, it's, like, for 
even though it was for revenge, it was a particular kind of revenge. So almost yeah. that like that flesh eat that that half eaten nose yeah. was just a mark of him using his powers for things that weren't entirely good. Because I mean, yeah. it hurt people and tore up lives, but at the same time. It, that was the cost. And King has done that to his protagonists before, like mm. Johnny Smith, like the, the cost of him yeah. using the site and everything else, what happens to him and other characters like that. Carrie, for instance, too. So. Yeah. Firestarter, too. Good point, good point. I yeah, like definitely Firestarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, any other characters we want to talk about well, before we, we do really? We should talk about Holly, I guess. Heidi? Oh, I'm sorry, Heidi. <laughs> I think about, I think about, I think about Holly from um, Mr. Mercedes, right? Yeah. I don't no, know, Heidi. though. It's like what I feel like there isn't a ton to say about her. No, there's not. Well, she, she, kills, she goes back to smoking. <laughs> she offered it up, though, for a second. She said no. Yeah. Oh, because he, he says, oh, we'll save some of his comments for the pound cake section. I guess I just feel bad for her because yeah. I don't think that she's as awful in any way no, as she really seems to make Listen, her out to be. Yeah. She's offering to give her husband a hey. hand job while driving, and he's like, whoa. And, and then, you know. <laughs> and again, once again, I, I'm sorry, Billy, that we don't believe that you were cursed by a quote-unquote gypsy. You know? Yeah. Sorry. You should go back to the doctors until we figure out what's wrong with you, you know? I so. mean, I it's like, yeah, maybe their marriage is an ideal, but she doesn't – she's not a villain. And no. he treats her like that. And I understand that's the point of the book uh, to some degree is that he develops this really bizarre – um, hatred on her that is, you know, a, a side pro- a byproduct of him refusing to take responsibility. But um, I do wish that we could have just maybe spent a little bit more time with her. She is still cast as, in a lot of ways, a sort of a shrill, privileged, um, yeah. oblivious kind of woman. Yeah. Um, I do wish that there was just maybe a little bit more heart that we could have seen like we get with Linda. Um, but it's only because it's all through, it's all channeled through Billy's, Billy's voice. Yeah, vision. Yeah, you know, I mean, even with through, I mean, even when you look at Linda, he's just Distorted her own point of view towards mm-hmm. Heidi as well. Yeah. So it's like she never really gets a fair shake here. I mean, and I, and honestly, like, I mean, I, I could, there's like, it's not like she's this great, you know, person either. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, because she's very like short and impatient with a lot, with a lot of what's going on. You know, I think there's a lot of instances where there, there seems to be almost like, um, in anger that mm-hmm. she's not that he's not listening to her and as a, as opposed to like some sort of patience maybe like I, I think like both like I think she's unfairly like painted in this book for sure because we don't actually get an actual fair shake for, for mm-hmm. her as well but um I do think that there is a like there are just glimpses in there that like yeah this is just like a really pair of rotten eggs basically mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think probably because she has had to be under Billy for this yeah. you know for these so, for so many years you know well, like the, once again I think you made a good point about this all being filtered through Billy another Bachman book trope would be that you pretty much just follow the main character yeah. and that's that's it right yeah except with the exception of I I guess. Maybe no. Even the long walk, you yeah. still it's all filtered through the main. It's character. all filtered through yeah. Ray. Yeah, it's not that's definitely piece. very true, especially in in Rage. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, help us. We are tethered to Charlie Decker that entire book. Hey, so you should read Rage next. I'm not going to do it anytime <laughs> soon, but I did want to touch on a brief part too, because when you're talking about being through the lens of just Billy, even the makeup between Linda and. Uh, what's her name? Heidi is seen only through what yeah. Billy Billy sees. So if Linda is supposed to be this perfect like mm-hmm. display for Billy of like what's moral and right and good mm-hmm. and still pure, if she can make this re- like resolution or resolve these problems with Heidi, like Stephen King touches on it really briefly, and I feel like it would if he, it kind of opens this world of what Heidi potentially could be and like understanding her role as opposed outside of what Billy saw her doing. Yeah. 
but it's so brief of an instant that that like you said like it doesn't give you enough of Heidi or who she is because Linda was able to you know make up with her mom obviously she's not that bad of a person obviously what she did isn't that bad like you were saying yeah but it took kind of seeing it through Linda's eyes as well to kind of see that in yeah. a way that makes sense yeah yeah that's interesting I do think that we should talk just a little bit more about uh, Carrie Rossington. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Lita is the character we spend more time yeah. with. Yeah. And she's really fascinating because she – it's interesting the way that she just sort of um, – well, I mean, even she, like, she keeps – I mean, if you want to talk about guilt, she's the one who keeps saying, why did you have to hit that woman? Like, why did you have to do this? Why did you have mm-hmm. to introduce the scenario that, yeah. uh, the, that made the dominoes fall? Because yeah. Carrie and Hopley – um, we're swept up in what Billy did, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like all the events are interconnected. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to see the way that she blames, you know, and he, and that, yeah. he kills himself. by He throws himself out of the window of the hospital. Right? Yeah. 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 So he, okay. Let's try and get it. Although she's the, the right. only one that put points a finger directly at Billy though, outside of like the Romani, she's the only one you who lately is like, this is your fucking fault. Admit it. Take it like full responsibility. For and what's it. funny is that he still can't. Yeah. Yeah. He still can't take. You figure like maybe that'll be like a turning point, but no, because no. he still not. brings up Heidi. Yeah, the entire time. It's like no, it's not. She grabbed me. You know, it's but like, in yeah. the Those beginning, things. he starts. He thinks that's like crazy talk. Like you notice, but mm-hmm. then slowly as he gets thinner, yeah. he loses all rational and it just like gives into rage, which is an interesting concept too. It's like all rational thought goes out the window after yeah. a while. Yeah, when you're scared and he's totally mad at the end of the book, mm-hmm. even though he knows he can get cured. He's Destroyed. He's irrevocably destroyed. But, but with like Lita, like the thing that's interesting about her is that she is probably the best indicator out of everyone that is portrayed in this book of what guilt does to someone. Yeah. Or like what, what you know, the ramifications and the, the collateral damage of someone not actually contending with their own guilt. Like, you know, like she is ravaged by the end. She's mm-hmm. become an alcoholic. She's shaking. She's shaking. She's like losing hair. Yeah. She says that she hasn't slept because she had to sleep in the same room with this lizard guy. Like, yeah. I mean, it's just, and then the, the stuff, like when you look at the societal stuff, I mean, like, you know, I lived next to a judge growing up and they're very, it's like a, there's a prestige that, that comes with it that, you know, everyone in the whole town knows. And, you know, they, you know, in the neighborhood, there's like this sort of prestige that that's there and they go, oh, that's the judge's house. OK. And like, we don't even know the name. I don't even, I don't even remember the guy's name anymore. I just remember it was the judge. And and like but the wife was always, out, you know, outside and there was like a customary sort of even at that point, you know, they were an older couple. But they were just like, oh, there's, you know, there's this is wife and they're both this very um, celebrated couple. And, mm-hmm. and there's a prestige that comes to it. That, and to see that unravel for her and i you just i just think it's interesting that king never shows carrie yeah and only shows lita and you see it through her and yeah. I, and because it's at and if any couple there even over billy and heidi like they're so entwined. Yeah. Well, I think know? a different and writer like, would it would have just become like the House of Horrors thing. Yeah. Where, okay, first we're going to stop by and see what happened to Gary. Yeah. And yeah. now we're going to stop by and see what happened to Duncan. Well, I like the fact that they it's all through her words. Yes. And then you do see Duncan. That's that's a switch. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. But I like the way that that's structured in the book. But the way that she because it's through her point of view and she's at this point so like venomous about the whole thing. Uh, no pun intended. But uh, they they like they're just it's just very um, I don't know. It's just so effective. Well, because she's more, it's more, she is more affected by what's happening than the narrator could ever be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's wrapped in emotion. Her telling the story as opposed yeah. to 
to Bachman telling the story. Well, it's like it's interesting too because they're all stripped of their power. You know, mm-hmm. like he's not the like Hopley's not the chief of police anymore. Their power can't save them. Like the power yeah. they thought yeah. wasn't like unbreakable the yeah. powers of society like law um the scales of justice yeah scales of justice <laughs> i mean being being a judge being a, a police chief being a high-powered lawyer that's all the things that can save you in with real world problems yeah. in a lot of ways but when it comes to supernatural problems then you know you're you're oh. shit out of luck well with lita like she just wanted him sent away yeah which yeah. is such a like ugh, like i know so that was tragic. powerful like, shit yeah, yeah like even though he was a piece of shit of a husband i know that was the thing <laughs> where she was just like yeah we were very we much not happy right. but yeah. Yeah. she's like i will be a rich widow she even says it twice yeah. or three times uh, and she's ready for it to be out of the picture which goes back to something we we're talking about earlier where it's like just be done with it resolve with it if it's out of sight it's yeah. out of mind and mm-hmm. she said she would have left if he hadn't well that's kind of like when he is talking to houston and houston mentions that when he called lita she just said that it was skin cancer because mm-hmm. maybe she's just like at this point i just i don't want to prolong this mm-hmm. i just want to I don't want to bring more people into this. I just want it to be done. You know, I want him to kill himself forever. God, I'd still love to see what it would look like. Because in the movie, even in the movie, it's very like it's, it's very like distant and kind of weird. They show him once in the movie, and it did not look at all like I had thought. No. Oh, really? Yeah, more like Crip Crip Keeper to me. Yeah, like but. there's like that sequence in Last Crusade when Donovan. Like becomes old. It reminds me of that. Yeah, but it, it doesn't feel very lizard like. No, for me. yeah, I've read that. Short story from Scary Stories Telling the Dark Alligators, yeah. where this man and his children slowly turn into alligators, yeah. and the wife is convinced it's happening. That's what it reminded me of, actually. Yeah. Oof. Uh, did you see that? Um, they're making a Scary Stories, stories Telling the Dark yes, movie. they are. I saw that. It's very exciting. Yes. Well, they could also probably call the soundtrack Scary, scary Scories. Ooh. That's what I just <laughs> said. <laughs> we're all here in the same room. Well, yeah, we're all We're all we're here. All here. <laughs> Hour two of Richard Bachman's Thinner. Stay tuned. Um, any other characters we want to talk about, or should we should we uh, uh, strap ourselves into the bed and um, invite Annie Wilkes in for some misery action? Let's do it. Let's uh, let's 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 uh, submit our toes. She she died. She just slipped away. Slipped away. Slipped away. She didn't just slip away. You did it. <laughs> My misery section is absolutely the two Janelli chapters, <laughs> which we talked about. You talked about Talisman earlier, about how everything could be condensed down pretty yeah, much. Every yeah. chapter could be toned down. This, everything that he talks about for about, I did the math. It's 40 pages. For a 320 page book, it's like 13% of the book is this <laughs> is him relaying what he was doing while he was in and out at yeah. the motel room. This could have been five pages long. I know. And this is this is this is when I feel like if this person who discovered it was King was like, this is going on way too long. Yeah. It's gotta be Stephen King. <laughs> Look, it's Why, so- and, and we're so close to the end. I know. <laughs> you know? Look, we're so close to the end. And it's not like we've been spending time with Jillian from the beginning, you know. We just meet him again after he's been alluded to a few times. We, I think there's one scene with him earlier on. And now we're going to spend 40 straight pages with this guy talking about how he, he breaks into the camp multiple times, puts face paint on. He talks about how this person he hired 
Are we going to go through the, the caravan? Weed? I mean, yeah. I don't care about any of this right now. It or like the whole weed so trade long. that's going on yeah. in, the, in the thing. Like, what the fuck is? Are we watching Hot Summer Nights? Like, I glazed out in those points. I like, <laughs> and like, well, especially for us, fake, fake IDs yeah. and everything well, else. We like, were, oh, are you kidding me? Right, we now? were like, oh, like for for me, like who was like in year two, we were like marathoning this mm. this morning. I was like, just like flipping through this, just going like, God, do I just... need to read this? Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> well, like, you told me last time how many pages you had left. You're like, this is just, oh, it's a breezy read. I went, okay, because you're about to hit the Janelli section and get ready because it is a slog. I was like glazing over when I was reading it. Yes. I'm just like, I'm like, this is such minutia. Well, that's so... when I started to entertain myself by doing the whole Andrew Dice Clay as Janelli. Yeah. That's, what I, that's the only way I could get through it. Hey. That was an option. I would have done But <laughs> yeah. again, like I said, I, I, I like elements of it. You could condense what's happening down to like five or six pages. And then you have that awesome bumper at the end, which we'll talk. About, I want to talk about in the cemetery, but um, th- that's my main misery because honestly, the rest of it is a pretty easy read. It's a pretty breezy read oh, too. It's, it's a very fast. It's, read. It's an entertaining read. So Although, that's my major problem. I will say that is my misery section right there. I, just take that whole section and figure it out. My, my misery is when you totally knew what King was doing, since you know it's King. You know, but the, if you didn't know it's King, and maybe read this, you don't know the style, but. His foreshadowing in this book is some of his worst foreshadowing oh, ever. Dream stuff the too. dream stuff with yeah. the pie, and you're yeah. like, "Why are you introducing the pie right now?" And then yeah. like the the whole because I guess what, what are you supposed to say that like Billy now has like weird uh, spell the spell speaks to Billy when his it's dreams like yeah like that just doesn't make any sense. But the worst is on two ninety five, which it literally kills the ending when. He goes, it was important that his daughter got nowhere near that thing. It was dangerous. Like, why would why you, you say that line? Why are you saying that? There's why no you bring reason up the daughter to say right that now? line. Don't bring up the so daughter. you kill the great twist that you have at the ending of yeah, the Yeah, I book. like the dreams before the dreams end because I like the, like the, the physical nature of the dreams mm. and the grotesque yeah. things that are going on Some in the dreams. Some of the stuff is great. That's, the imagery is really good. Yeah. But then when it's trying to tie into, like you said, the foreshadowing, that's when it's just, come on. Like, there's like a one weird thing where he opens the trunk and there's like a, like a childlike... Lemke that's in there. Oh yeah, that was that was weird. weird. Yeah, yeah. it's like what is and that's I, fine. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, but it's when you get into this, <laughs> he's like Don't giving let your daughter eat the cake. Well, he's like pie. giving the one of the dreams has him like giving the pie to Heidi. It's like wait, yeah. why are you doing this right now? What is yeah? Anyway, but yeah, I agree with that, Mike. It's good, good misery. I still just don't feel like is I don't know. I feel like it works within. It, the broader when you look at the book in a broad sense, it works, but I still just never feel like it really earns him wanting to kill Heidi with the pie. No, of course not. Like, no. and I get well, that never earns it. Yeah, I get. I, and I mean, well, I guess, sorry, what do you mean by earning? Well, earning. I think in terms of, I never fully believe, even though I understand what you know King is doing here with. Um, you know, Billy's unearned sort of hatred towards his wife. It's, I, I don't know. I still just don't feel like it was the betrayal and the hate towards her is illustrated enough that it justifies him willing to kill her mm-hmm. instead of just some rando. Well, that's I why, think, that's I why think, the addition in the movie is, is paramount. Well, I, no, like, I do actually think, I think it gets to the point in the book where he's absolutely crazy. Yeah, but so I mean, I, I, be, I, I have no problem with like that. killing Heidi just seems so or like passing the curse onto her seems so extreme when he could just give it to the freaking cab driver that he gets in with who drives him away from the in, the the yeah. uh, Romani like uh, camp. Yeah, I think I don't know. I, I, yeah. I buy the fact that because he's even talking to her 
sweetly on the phone and everything else, mm-hmm. and he's absolutely becoming like just evil and like, say, lost he's his mind. I focused on her so much that like giving it to yeah. the cab driver would have just been like, wait, what? No, no I understand that. Be a I'm not saying that. Random, like, yeah, I'm yeah. not saying like I wanted him to give it to the cab driver necessarily. It's just like it's like I guess maybe that's why they made that addition in the film is because maybe and the thing is I I think it's thematically better that he gives it to her and I think it works on a thematic level I guess just from I, and I don't see Billy I guess I just don't see Billy as completely mad by the end of it mm. like there is yeah. uh, he's not yeah. completely crazy. no no it's not the, the, he does to Bachman to Bachman to Bachman <laughs> to King's credit he does lace the book with enough like vitriol towards yes. Heidi yeah. that yeah. you understand like if you have to buy the idea that he is mad by yeah. the end of it like okay I can see why he's just so hell-bent on making sure that she gets her comeuppance because he, he feels, feels like she never got anything done to her yeah like she just gets to sit there because he makes mention of it at one Several point he's like, she gets to sit there and watch me waste away yep. and just smoke cigarettes like she'll still be fine yeah but then also he randomly just kind of mentions giving the pie to Houston mm-hmm. yeah and while he's like on the phone with Heidi and it's like okay well where's that hatred that's coming all of a sudden for Houston yeah he's the guy who's like kind of passing you off and helping Heidi get that uh written written up for him but mm-hmm. still like it doesn't deserve him suddenly dying as well it's, well, it's, it's like it, it's like I almost yeah. wish they welded the storyline of her like of their affair mm-hmm. just so just for narrative's sake just because it gives so much more like in the movie, like and that's a, and I don't want to keep bringing it up, but I, I just have to because I think narratively it gives more credence yeah. to what's going on. Like you totally it's not like you're always you're not. I guess I mean, I in a way you are with him in the movie more because yeah. the both of them are so despicable. They're yeah. like such a 90s sort of like lecherous couple. But and, and that's the thing is the, narratively it helps. Yeah. Thematically, it hurts. Yeah, yeah. because exactly. thematically, it's more interesting if she is relatively innocent. I agree. Yeah. Um, but narratively, that is really hard to convey him wanting to pass a curse onto her. Mm-hmm. I get, mm-hmm. but it works thematically, and so that's but, the only but, but place also, where I struggle. But, I don't say that it like ruins the book for me no, in any yeah. way. But it's also yeah. important for the payoff, the whole sort of Canterbury Tales esque like ending, yes. where you know all of them are fucked. Because like if you think about it. And, and, and I thought about this just now when you were saying, like, oh, I didn't give it to the cab driver. The story would be, would be like, he, returned, he returned home for, yeah, thanks for the tip. He, like, <laughs> he returned home for a great dinner. Yeah. And then a really nice guy gave me a tip. No, no, no. I love the ending. I'm just saying, narratively, why wouldn't he I just know. give it to the cab driver? That's yes. all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Someone who was evil, if he's, because yeah, he had or, the dream sequence of moving to Arizona and yes. becoming like pro bono or whatever, something he was doing. Like, but, like yeah. yeah. Like not the cab driver. Uh, yeah, go to a go to a go to a homeless guy. Go to a prison or something. <laughs> Just go to a homeless guy. Go to that, bar, go to that the bartender that kicked him out. Eat the whole pie. Yeah. Be like, hey, remember when you kicked me out of your bar? Have a slice of pie. Well, here's <laughs> what the thing. What if he gave it to Limpke? He he has the pie. Turns he turns walks away. Then comes back ten minutes. They're like, hey, before I leave, I made this pie for you. I thought he would more just shove it down his throat. Yeah, hey, and he's like, wait a minute, is this the pie I gave you? No, it's a different no, one. No, it's but here, a different pie. Eat up. What about the semantics of the pie? So he has somebody has to, like the whole pie has to be the eaten. The breathing though. pie. Uh, no, I think it's just. No, I think it's just no. no, not the whole yeah. pie because because obviously he, she doesn't she doesn't eat the whole pie at the end. Yeah, no, I, I know. Shares it. I think it was just that he had to, to feed it some to, to someone. somebody. Yeah, Somebody's not eat that it. they had to eat the whole pie. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Even a bite would do it. I mean, yeah. oh man, then he should have just given it to some random guy. Because that's <laughs> like somebody that's like a total jerk. Feel bad yeah. about killing yeah, somebody like actually, else. Actually, if you, I would have gone to a, pr- I would have probably gone to prison. 
like done my research because you got, you got a couple of weeks. He's crazy. He's he's convinced himself that it's all his wife's I know. fault. He's, he's got like, the Jack Torrance thing right now. He's yes. just lost his mind. Yeah. But the boiler's gonna blow up. You know? <laughs> he could have. <laughs> how is he gonna explain my thought too? As he was thinking about killing his wife, how was he gonna explain the cleanup? I know, right? That was my thought, and I was like, "So he's gonna kill his wife." Has he thought anything past that point? What he's gonna say? He's gonna daughter? call up old Judge Scaly and say, "Hey, I need one more. I need one more. Uh, one more piece hey, of help." Clean up. Pushed uh, on the oh, ground. He's dead. Right you're now, right. So. Judge Scalia. I smell a sequel. <laughs> I smell a sequel. Uh, rest in peace. Uh, let's move on. Um, my other thing, my other misery in this book is that there is some cheese tastic dialogue in yes. this book, like some dialogue that just made me like scream and, and also just like things that didn't make a lot of sense. Like at one point, uh, Billy, I mean, just for the character, like Billy compares how one guy looks to like acting teacher Lee Strasberg. Mm. I understand <laughs> Lee Strasberg was famous, but Billy's like a lawyer, like a rich lawyer. Why does he, why is he compare like going, Hey, this guy looks like that famous acting teacher, like from injustice for all. It's very strange. And then. Um, uh, and then also just on page 143 of the, of the film, uh, edition, just some of these lines are so, are so cheesy. Uh, uh, Heidi has legal recourse. Houston said carefully. You understand? I understand. Billy said, you're talking about you and Heidi and the three stooges there at the Glassman clinic, getting together and committing me to Sunnyvale acres, basket weaving our specialty. It's just like, come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's just like such cheesy dialogue. And there's so much like that in the book. That it's very so pulpy. It's, you know? Well, yeah. it's pulpy, but in just that it's like it's that whole it's it's when I get annoyed at King for giving me like a laughing, wisecracking ghost. You know, it reminds me yeah. of the end of the uh, I always think I just always the worst example of this ever is and and King wrote the screenplay. So I'm going to I'm going to saddle him with it. But the Shining miniseries oh, at God. the end of it, like when the guy um, who like the guy who who like uh, through the parties or like own the hotel or whatever. Who's one of the ghosts in the mini series. Like he's just like, you know, it's always like, Hey, great party, but not in a good way. Like in, like, the, like the, in the, the shiny version, one, yeah. but just like, you know, in a big over the top sort of like, boo, you know, yeah, boo kind of way. It's like so stupid to me. It drives me nuts. Well, he also does another thing to like show the sarcasm for Billy. Like on like on page one twenty nine of the signet when he's just like, you know, uh, the upshot was that they wanted him to hang in at Glassman for another week or two, or possibly three. They were going to whip what was wrong with him. They were going to whip McGood. They contemplated a series of mega vitamins to start with. Certainly, but, you know, and then he has like these, inter- that's the, these interjections yeah. that are in parentheticals. It's like, plus protein injections, of course, and a great many more tests. Without a doubt. It's just like, uh, it just seems so cheesy. Like, it's cheesy, uh, you it's know, cheesy, like gags and cracks, like when bits. they're really not. Like warranted. No, yeah. Uh, Aisha, what was your misery while reading this? Uh, I mean, we talked about this off mic, I think, was like his use of link or particular slurs for me, for which with reading King in general has just been a rough spot. Classic King. Classic King. <laughs> um, but I was actually trying to think of it as we were discussing your guys' miseries. And I'm like, what did I have a problem with in this book? If I had any besides like the cheesy dialogue, which you've already mentioned. And to be honest, I feel like I've mentioned everything that I had like offhand besides like the lame sex scenes. Oh, oh, don't we're going to touch on those. We're getting close. The pound cake's still in the oven. We just have to move yeah. the, the pie out of the way. Yeah. The pound cake <laughs> is waiting for us in the fridge. But I feel like, yeah, the biggest thing for me was just kind of the, the, descriptions i think did we touch on this already the descriptions of like the women who mm, were yeah. fatter in the book and then he fetishizes kind of, yeah, yeah. He, no matter how he described a female in, in this book it just kind of there was just like for me this kind of like deep 
dark, icky feeling yeah. mm-hmm. for it. And I just like, maybe it's all in all of his books. I don't know. I have to still read a lot of King books to catch up. We can tell you that it pretty much is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I, we've he, got some. He doesn't care. give equal. Uh, not consideration, but <laughs> equal equal play to the to the men in terms of the physical description. Yeah, he can I write agree. great women, but he I when mean, it comes to physical descriptions, it can get a little bit uh, queasy. Yes. I guess I, get, I mean I can see that getting weird for him. So I don't know. Yeah, I didn't really have that many other miseries besides what you already. I can see what you guys are coming through, and like yeah, it bothered me too. But then I was just kind of struggling through Janelle. It was pretty much my biggest. Yeah, Long. that's rough stuff. Um, well, do we hear the cemetery gates creaking? Is it time to... Uh... Oh, there it is. I think it's time for us to step into the cemetery. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person. Ow! Oh, wolf's back. <laughs> We're in the cemetery where the wolves where the wolves play. <laughs> hey, do they also chop off toes? <laughs> Welcome to the cemetery. This is where we uh, like to point out the things that gave us the willies while we were reading a particular Stephen King book. Thinner actually has some pretty good cemetery moments. I agree, hundred percent. I, I think it definitely delivers in terms of um, grotesquery. Yes, I think that, and that's this is very much kind of a body horror kind of book, which mm. is you know so it's which I you know even though the premise lends itself to that, I guess I didn't even really think about it until I you know got about you know, a hundred pages in and then I'm just like, oh wow. Like he's really playing with some serious body horror here in ways that, you know, I guess I feel like I haven't seen in a ton of Stephen King books. No. I mean, just the whole idea of people morphing into something else, like in such a grotesque way, I, he has done it before. I mean, obviously I, I always think of gray matter, mm. um, you know, this man turning into some gelatinous beast, mm. <laughs> but you can do that because it's a short, or it's a short story. I feel like yeah, he, he's going to give him, he gives himself permission as Bachman to kind of just rely on the grotesque as opposed to really depending on the characterizations of yeah, totally. many people, you know? So, yeah. So on that note, I think like for me, the first point in this book where I started, where I read something that really unsettled me was just in the description of, um, of the, of, uh, Carrie scales, yeah. like first yeah. appearing. And it's just really, really gross to me. And I think that the way that, um, it's described is to me just really, really gross. And so the part that really got me was on page 93 of the film edition. Uh, You have the same. Well, just like the way when uh, they're talking, she's talking about like putting cream like Mm -hmm. over like the skin. It just really made me feel gross. And so he's like, hand me that uh, Nivea cream Lita. She did and stood there a moment longer, but the sight of him smearing the white goo over that hard yellow flesh, flesh, listening to the pads of his fingers rasp over it. That was more than she could stand. And she fled back to her room. That was the first time she told Halleck that she had been consciously glad for the twin beds, consciously glad that he wouldn't be able to turn over in his sleep and touch her. She had lain wakeful for hours, she said, hearing the soft rasp rasp of his fingers moving back and forth across that alien flesh. Like that to me is such a wonderful, like Mm -hmm. evocative, creepy way to, this is what you were saying earlier, Justin, about like why it's better that we're seeing it through her eyes as opposed to Carrie's because we're really, uh, the distance of the grotesquery and the way that it's affecting those around them is really, really striking. Yeah, as opposed to just talking to somebody living with it, talking to somebody living with it mm-hmm. in a way um well like that section like literally right above it i don't know if you have that justin oh you go ahead like but like yeah on 93 on mine it's just literally the paragraphs above 
they really go into the detail of what actually yeah. it looks like, you know, because like right here it says, um, two nights later, he had called her into the bathroom, his voice so like a scream that she had come on the run. All our worst revelations come in the bathroom, Billy thought. Carrie was standing with his shirt off. That's his, my favorite line. Yeah, yeah. I love it. It's a great line. Great line. It's a great line. Um, Carrie was standing with his shirt off, his razor humming forgotten in one hand, his wide eyes staring into the mirror. The patch of hard yellowish skin had spread. It had become a blotch, a vaguely tree-like shape that spread upward to the area between his nipples and downward widening toward his belly button. This changed flesh was raised above the abnormal flesh of his belly and stomach and by almost an eighth of an inch. And she saw there were deep cracks running through it. Several of them looked deep enough to slip the edge of a dime into. For the first time, she thought he was beginning to look, well, scaly and felt her gorge rise. What is it? He nearly screamed at her. Lita, what is it? Ugh. So yeah. It's just awful. Just yeah, you, you both actually mentioned two of, two of mine, without question. But I do think it would have been even more frightening if uh, Carrie Rossington had turned into Litter Skinner's Gary Rossington. <laughs> uh, I'll show you a picture. Of, uh, oh, God. I kept thinking oh. of... I'm not kidding. I kept thinking of... Okay, let me pass the picture around. <laughs> I kept thinking of Gary Rossington when I was reading oh, this book. Oh, God. He, like, she, wakes up, <laughs> she wakes up one morning. He's got like... Like <laughs> taped on hair with a gross dyed goatee and just bloated. Well, just, no offense to Gary Rossington, God bless. And just some of these other, just some of these other descriptions, um, I think are really, really effective. You know, she's like at the end before he finally gave up and went. Both of his hands were claws. His eyes were two bright little sparks of blue inside these pitted, scaly hollows. Yeah. His nose, and then uh, she wobbles around drunk for a while, and she just goes, "He looks like an alligator now." She yeah. said in what was almost an intimate whisper. Yes, that's what he looks like, Billy. Like something that just crawled out of a swamp and put on human clothes. It's like he's turning into an alligator, and I was glad he went. And then later she, <laughs> she says more, which I love. She's like, uh, uh, he's hard to talk to now, she said remotely. It's happening inside his mouth, you see. It's thickening his gums, plating his tongue. I can talk to him, but everything he says to me, all of his replies come out in grunts. And it's like just Ugh. so, so creepy. She's like, I'm, I expect that before long they may have to put him in a tank. They may have to keep his skin wet. It's like, and then she just keeps saying it as he's trying to get out. Like, well, that's so unsettling. To me. Start, well, after that is when he's leaving, he's on the bomb step. He turns around and goes, It could be worse. He could be Gary Rossington from Leonard Skinner. <laughs> no, um, I do have something here, though. I'll joke inside. Uh, I mentioned I like some of the um, descriptions. Within the dreams themselves that he was having, yeah, one of my one of the more surreal ones. Um, I'll read this. He, the town of Fairview, has now become a town filled with concentration camp survivors. It basically, everybody looks like he does now. They're all emaciated. And he writes, he saw Yard Stevens shamble out of heads up, his beige barber's smock flapping over a chest and a belly that were now non-existent. Yard was screeching in a horrid crow-like voice, and when he turned around toward Halleck, he saw it was not Yard at all, but Ronald Reagan. Yes. Where's the rest of me? He screamed. Where's the rest of me? Where's the rest of me? Like just that surreal. Yeah, I, like, I love that. That, that whole that sequence is bizarre. great. I had that that whole chapter. It's just like three pages. I put that in the cemetery for yeah. sure. Yeah. Everyone's just wandering around like a George Romero movie or something like that. It's ugh. what do you have, Aisha? Um, let's see. I think for me, Hope Hopley's character. Yeah, Hopley, yeah. When he goes <laughs> into it, so it's like one twenty five of the movie edition. Uh, Hopley's skin was harsh. Was a harsh alien landscape. Mm. Malignant red pimples, the size of teacup saucers, grew out of oh. his chin, his neck, his arms, the back of his hands. Smaller eruptions rashed his cheeks and forehead. His nose was a plague zone of blackheads. Yellowish pus oozed and flowed in weird channels, bulging between bulging dunes mm. of proud flesh. Proud. 
blood trickles here and there. Proud boys. Coarse black hair, beard hairs grew in crazy helter-skelter tufts, and Halleck's horrified, overburdened mind realized that shaving would have become impossible some time ago. Like, can you imagine trying Uh, to? But uh, what gets me... Ingrown hairs? Yes. Because it's also all the different kinds of acne you can get that's like, we've all had it. And to imagine having that all over your body all at the same time. And then he talks at the one point on the next page that, and this is what got me, that dreadful shape moved and shifted. Halleck heard Hopley draw his fingers down his cheek, Uh, and then he heard the unspeakable, sickening sound of ripe pimples breaking wetly open. The the alliteration there, by the way, is incredible. I was like, I was like screaming during that. That's so gross. Mm. Because I don't know about any of you, but as a teenager, we all had that sick obsession with Desire. popping our oh, yeah. own and like i just imagined them doing that to my face Ugh. and scratching and i was like nope and like with little to no effort and just having yeah. them burst Ugh. like that and too. you can hear that popping i could hear that popping sound yeah. it's my head so gross it's yeah. disgusting what was also kind of creepy is on um on page 196 of signet when uh, billy comes onto the camp and he's just he's surrounded by everyone and he talks about uh they regarded him with their dark gypsy eyes and no one said a word this is how it feels when your pants really do fall down in court, he thought. But that wasn't a bit true. Now that he was actually in front of them, the complexity of his emotions had disappeared. The fear was there and the anger, but both idled quietly somewhere deep inside. And there's something else. They're not surprised to see you. And they're not surprised at how you look either. Then it was all then it was true, all true. No psychological anorexia, no exotic form of cancer. Billy thought that even Michael Houston would have been convinced by those dark eyes. They knew what had happened to him. They knew why it was happening, and they knew how it would end. That yeah. sort of like stark yeah. realization of being like, oh, God, it is all true, you know, mm-hmm. and also just all these people being almost happy to see how it's happening. It's just, uh, it's, yeah, that's freaky. You mentioned earlier that the kid on the dock was a nightmare. Yes. That's, that's, mm-hmm. that's very effective as the shambling scarecrow in his nightmare. Yeah, um, but I have another dream is he dreams of, Running over, not the old woman, but the old man, mm-hmm. and and it's written. Uh, and he heard the and he heard the gypsies whisper from somewhere underneath him, drifting up through the carpeted floor of the expensive car, muffled but clear enough. Thinner, yeah, like that's <laughs> that that was bothersome. I just want to read the the orange the kid with the oranges because I think it's such a freaky, but it's yes. so king. It's, it's so, so king. Mm-hmm. Like more good uh, alliteration too. Yeah, page two eighty three. Um, He barely noticed the little boy who halfway up the block abruptly turned off the sidewalk, scaled the Cowan's fence and shot across their backyard. That night, this little boy would awake screaming from a nightmare in which a shambling scarecrow with lifeless blowing hair on its skull head uh, bore down on him. Running down the hallway to his room, the boy's mother heard him screaming, It makes me want to eat oranges until I die. Eat oranges till I die. Eat till I die. That's so freaky. That's so king, though. I love it. Jaunty. And that I like as a offshoot story that's yep. very small. Like, if he's going to mm-hmm. diverge, yeah. I can deal with that. And King's exactly. great at that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Like, that's a, those are kind of the moments that I, I always really love. And I feel like we call those moments out a lot, like in The Stand, when you have all those little short stories of yes. what everybody else did. And there's a section of that in The Talisman as well, where there's kind of all these, like, little mini stories. I know you guys haven't read that one, but it's like, uh, well, you have. Yeah. But, like, where it kind of just uh, shoots off in all these different directions of all these minor characters that you've met throughout and it's it's a really fun little section so um You're near the end of talisman yeah well yeah. there's that and then there's like another one i feel like early on as well but uh anybody else have any other cemetery well, things that spook them it's also kind of creepy when he has that like last the last dream he has where he, like linda mm-hmm. and her like her nose starts falling off yeah. and she's just like i don't understand it daddy it fell it just fell off like it's 
And then he wakes up to Fire. find out that I, she's going to die. I like the um, the pulsing pie is disgusting yeah. to me. Yeah. But I, I um, I'll read Janelli's ending, which I, th- I think very much is like uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. The way yeah. it's delivered, it's almost like the hook, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's over, Billy said, opening the passenger door and getting in. It's a that was when he saw Janelli wasn't in the car. At least, not very much of him. Because of the deepening shadow, so he didn't see that he had come within an inch of sitting on Janelli's severed hand until a moment later. It was a disembodied fist, trailing red goblets of flesh onto the Nova's faded seat cover from the ragged wrist. A disembodied fist filled with ball bearings. Love it. Great. Also, you know, we've talked about every other uh, circus freak in the, in the movie, so <laughs> in the book, so we might as well talk about uh, Billy. Billy! At his yeah. worst, on page 160. Mm-hmm. Well, not at his worst, but the descriptions are at the worst. Because uh, at, at some point, he just stops describing. Uh, King writes, Every rib stood out clearly. His collarbones were exquisitely defined ridges covered with skin. His, check, his cheekbones bulged. His sternum was a congested knot. His belly a hollow, his pelvis a gruesome hinged wishbone. His legs were much as he remembered them, long and still quite mu- and still quite well muscled. The bones still buried. He had never put on much weight there anyway, but above the waist, he really was turning into a carny freak, the human skeleton. Mm. Uh. The one thing this book uh, gets wrong, though, is when you lose that much weight and you're that big, uh, you don't just like shrink like you have loose skin. You do. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, but, but this is a curse, not a... Yeah. Not a health issue. I guess you make a good point. <laughs> oh, always go with the curse. <laughs> always go with the Deus Ex Machina. Um, actually, Randall, he was a curse was put on him. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I Clearly. know you guys haven't watched the movie, but no. he, there's a point in there where they're at the carnival and they display like a visual doll of yes. each of the the curses. Which is I thought was really cool, and okay. it reminded me of this movie. And I think it's like Tales from the Hood or something yes, like that yes. with the little dolls. Oh my that, god! And it made so that scary. creep me out in the so movie. So scary. And I was kind of like hoping for that in the book, but they don't touch on. Well, that. in the in the so in the trailer for the movie, they used to show like that scene where he pulls it off, mm. but then they would zoom in on like the the doll, and it just and it almost looks like. Like as a kid, I used to think that's what he turned into. <laughs> like, like he gets like he gets so small to the point where he is just like this, like almost like hollow doll. So as a kid, I, my imagination ran wild with this movie. Um, but yeah, no, I'm. I was actually kind of bummed out that wasn't in the book. The, the, the it, was, it would have been a good scene to have. That yeah. would have been a good tangent to go on. Just yeah. Adds an extra level of creepiness. Yeah, to it. Well, yes. we can, it's almost like they, they become part of a collection. We mm-hmm. talk about that in the the movie episode as well. Booyah. Uh, I got to get this all in now since I won't be here for that. (laughs) Hey, you're more than welcome to be here if you can be here. Uh, I think the cemetery gates, I hear them closing. We better rush out before they close. Otherwise, we'll be stuck in this cemetery forever. What are we running towards? We're running towards a typewriter sitting on a table in the middle of a field. Mm, Horrifying. It is the word processor of the gods. And we're going to make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, whether the fuck you hear me doing in here when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. How do you think you can handle that? Yeah. Fine. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here? 
Uh, this is the section where we like to just point out what we think is good writing, evocative sections, stuff that um, just shows King the prose master. He's not the schlock writer you all think he is, you punks. I'm just kidding. You're not punks. You're our listeners, and we love you. Uh, so on page 54 of the film edition, uh, I, I found this section where I think it just kind of sums up the relationship between the travelers, the, the Romani people, and sort of the upper crust society. I think this is a, just a really strong section that really helps uh, you know draw that distinction and Billy's awareness of the class distinction here. So um, uh, Linda asks, why didn't the gypsies get a permit, Dad? Uh, she sounded sleepy now, thank God. Well, maybe they forgot, he says. Not a snowball's chance in hell, Lynn. And this is, it veers into italics, very king-like. Not in Fairview. Not when you see the common from Lantern Drive and the country club. Not when that view is part of what you paid for, along with the private schools which teach computer programming on banks of brand new apples and TRS-80s, and the relatively clean air and the quiet at night. The Shrine Circus is okay. The Easter Egg Hunt is even better. But gypsies, here's your hat. What's your hurry? We know dirt when we see it. Not that we touch it. Christ, no. We have maids and housekeepers to get rid of dirt in our houses. When it shows up on the town common, we've got Hopley. Yeah. It's a good commentary on... um, Yeah, I feel like it it paints the the sort of um, milieu very well. Yes, I agree. I've got something here that I can only describe as something good to put on your Twitter profile. <laughs> this, oh, we forgot to talk about the men- the character of Fander, the uh, the mob oh. doctor, I guess, who shows up to to boost up Billy after he's been shot in the hand. Oh yeah. Um, after Fander gives Billy some medicine post slingshot, he says, you "Really ought to get off whatever hunger strike you're on, Mister Halleck. In many ways, the world is nothing but a pile of shit, but it can also be very beautiful. I think that's actually yeah. good uh, good words to take into account. I like that." I like, uh, I got two sections, but, um, do you want to go first? No, go ahead. Okay. I don't exactly know where this is, but, uh, oh, it's uh, Billy's sleeping. Yeah. So yeah, clearly, cause it starts off with, he came awake with a jerk, turned toward the window and almost screamed. The moon was a brilliant crescent above the Catskills, and for a moment he thought it was the old gypsy man, his head cocked slightly to the side, peering into their window, his eyes two brilliant stars in the blackness of the sky over upstate New York, his grin lit somehow from within, the light spilling out cold like the light from a mason jar filled with August fireflies, cold like the swamp fellas he had sometimes seen as a boy in North Carolina, old cold light, a moon in the shape of an ancient grin, one which contemplates revenge billy drew in a shaky breath closed his eyes tight then opened them again the moon was just the moon he lay down and was asleep three minutes later it's good i tend to always pull those kind of more natural elements well, and, from it I and love that's when a King rare instance that. of this because i think also with his bachman books they're they're so mean that yeah. there's not a lot of room for no kind of romantic writing or uh-uh. anything like that you know uh-uh. and I, the other quote i actually had was something that you said earlier Aisha, was about the uh the asshole definition. Mm. That's that was another. I like that quote a lot. I know we've hit a lot of the ones that I like, so I'm like, crap, I'm trying to find another one. <laughs> I've got one. Oh, go, no, come. no, no. I was gonna say, but though, while looking for that particular, it brought me to something, and it was something we were talking about earlier, where King kind of diverges into like, what the hell, the less the actor. Yeah. When he starts talking about the South Vietnamese general shooting, yeah, suddenly what that like <laughs> for me was and i know i'm sorry i'm, I'm pulling a stephen king right now by jumping just jumping in janelle's talking <laughs> to us but right I now was like, how about the selfie that was probably also what is it uh 
think the misery. Great misery. That was yeah. probably a misery for me as well. <laughs> I just need to go back. Go ahead with yours. <laughs> the word processor of the, of the God is um, shut down. <laughs> no. Well, I'm, I'm rebooting it. Uh, page 300 of the film edition after he gets the pie, after he finds Janelli's uh, lost hand. I thought mm. this was um, just a really beautifully written section that closes it out and raises, I think, it may had me thinking a lot about, about a lot of different themes. But um, so he says, Now he lay here and listened to something breathe in the dark, something that looked like a pie, but which was really a child he and that old man had created together. Gina, he thought almost randomly, where is she? Don't hurt her. That's what I told Janelli. But I think if I could lay my hands on her, I'd hurt her myself, hurt her plenty for what she did to Richard. Her hand, I'd leave that old man her head. I'd stuff her mouth full of ball bearings and leave uh, him the head. And that's why it's a good thing I don't know where to lay my hands on her because no one knows exactly how things like this get started. They argue about that and they finally lose the truth altogether if, if it's inconvenient. But everybody knows how they keep on keeping on. They take one, we take one, then they take two and we take three. Mm-hmm. They shoot up an airport so we blow a school and blood runs in the gutters because that's what it's really all about is in it blood in the gutters blood billy slept without knowing he slept his thoughts simply merged into a series of ghastly twisted dreams in some of these he killed and in some he was killed but in all of them something breathed and pulsed and he could never see that something because it was inside himself yeah that's such a good summary of like literally the entire book and it really feels to me reading it now that whole section is very redolent to me of the way we talk about the um uh kind of the the war with Iraq. Yes. And um, yeah. just the general sense of war starting, not really knowing, being unable, being it, it being very difficult to trace back where it all started, mm-hmm. but the general sense that all there is is this escalation yeah. and that people are being swept up in, in violence and a narrative that they don't fully understand, but that violence breeds violence and, uh, and that the capacity for that sort of lives in all of us, you know, yeah. is that once, and I think that's, this is where Janelli's sort of bloodlust really ties in with the larger narrative mm-hmm. because I think that some people, you know, the curses that we put on other people, we forget sometimes why we do it. We just get swept up in the aftermath of well, it, it's like the, the whole, violence it's of the it. whole Hammurabi's code thing. Yeah. You know, is there a justification for it and when does it end? Yeah. You know, like, and that's kind of the point that Billy tries to bring to Lemke at the, you oh, know. Oh, it's the, like he says, like, is it sh- how will this end with my child killing yeah. your child or like mm-hmm. writing a letter to Yeah, I thought that was, I was just thinking about that. Yeah, because yeah, it's like kind of like this, yeah, when does it, you know, and mm-hmm. at some point it's, it's, it's kind of like why I like, in, you know, Kill Bill, they, everyone says like, oh, they should make a sequel where it's like the little girl goes after Kill, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. and it just kind of, it's this perpetual thing that keeps happening again and again, revenge never ends. It just keeps seeking out, a, you know, it's just this poison. Yeah. It's a curse. Mikasa, yeah. Shukasa, you know. But it was just, yeah, I think that's a beautifully written section. It's interesting you, ma- you mentioned the war in Iraq because uh, mm. uh, this is maybe a King's Dominion, but on page 137, uh, you should have seen him, Billy said grimly. That wasn't a straw. That was the fucking World Trade Center. Ah. Uh, looks like, uh, hey, uh, hashtag never forget and um, hashtag profit. Before, yeah, I was like, no. before it's time. Yeah. How is that a King's Dominion? It's not yeah. a King's Dominion. <laughs> World the World Dominion? Trade Center has a lot to do with uh, the Dark Tower, though, doesn't it? Um, I feel like it does. I could does, be wrong. Doesn't he go to a locker in in, in the one of the World Trade Centers? 
Maybe I don't remember, Maybe. but I that's it seems like it could very well be true. Yeah. yeah. Either way. Uh, anyway. Any other word processor of the gods? I have nothing of else. Good writing that we want to share. No. Cool. I have one more. Ah, bring it. Uh, it's uh, on page one ninety eight, and this is with uh, between Billy and Lemke. For a moment, Billy stared at the festering hole in the middle of Lemke's face, and then his eyes were drawn to the man's eyes—the eyes of age. Had he thought they were something more than that, something less? It was emptiness he saw in them. It was emptiness which was their fundamental truth, not the surface awareness that gleamed on them like moonlight on dark water. Emptiness as deep and complete as the spaces which may lie between galaxies. Ooh, starting to get a little poetic there. (laughs) I like it. We're talking about about his eyes. Yes. (laughs) His eyeballs. Beautiful eyes. Well, to be frank, I've had my fill of good words, but I have not had my fill of pound cake. And so Uh, it's time to serve up the dish. After all you've been taught, everyone in bad mama, everything in the sin. Come to your closet and pray. Ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, Mom. You like him. You really like him, Mama. Well, get your milk, get your coffee. <laughs> we got a lot of pound cake in this. Yeah, I only have a couple entries. Really? I've yeah. got a few. I've got an. I've got a nice, uh, healthy, hearty serving of pound cake. I here. got something here. Um, I want to preface this by saying that in my life, I've had sex, <laughs> <laughs> and I. Well, let me read this. After Billy and Heidi have sex, you know, she said, if I come my brains out one more time, I'm not going to have any brains left. It's a myth, Billy said, grinning. That you can come your brains out? <laughs> nah, that's the truth. The myth is that you lose those brain cells forever. And once you come out, I always grow back. No I, what is never this? in my life. What is this? This is the most. Like, who talks like this? This is the most. Of everything that. Uh, people turn into alligators in this book, and this is the most unbelievable part of the book. Like, <laughs> I cannot imagine. Unless I paid a hooker to say this to me, I cannot imagine <laughs> this coming out of. I mean, this is incredible stuff. If I come my brains out one more time, I'm not going to have any brains left. Like, maybe I'm doing it wrong. Billy, maybe Billy's got it all figured out. Anyone um, else uh, get weirded out by the way he kind of like sub- subtly leers at Linda? Yes, when he talks about her cotton shorts, and I yes. was like, we should not be talking about our daughter. Oh my god! Yeah, that's that so weird. Um, here's a non-sex related one, but that made me laugh. Was just the way that um, that he talks about whoppers, like Burger King whoppers, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on page thirty-eight of the of the film book. Um, so it just uh, during his commute home on Tuesday, he pulled off the Connecticut Turnpike at Norwalk and picked up a couple of whoppers with cheese at the Burger King. There, he began eating them the way he always ate when he was driving, just working his way through them, mashing them up, swallowing them uh, down bite by oh. bite. And then he goes into some other stuff. But uh, let me see here. Um, a 36-year-old overweight American male Caucasian sitting behind the wheel of a 1981 Oldsmobile 98, scarfing a huge hamburger while mayonnaise and shredded bits of lettuce dripped oh, onto his charcoal yeah. gray vest. Uh, and then he goes, he threw the remains of the second Whopper out the window and then looked at the mixed slime of juices and sauce on his hand with a desperate kind of horror. <laughs> <laughs> thing is i've it felt is that way before yeah. like yeah. but i what, also what just eating? i also just love that he threw the remains of the whopper like yeah. out the window like that's just such like i was <laughs> expecting the, the native american with a tear i know right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my next step 
I love it. Aisha, um, do you have, you have anything particular you can think of? Uh, I wish I like had more time to like mark the pages because there's a there's different things like when he talks about the gypsy first, uh, oh, was yeah. it, or not gypsy, Gina is what I wanted yeah. to say, and how oh, her skirts like lifted up. And I'm like, who, what, what Romani is wearing like short booty skirts while she's like <laughs> using a slingshot. Gina. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it was mostly like the sex scenes, but there was something else and it's going to come to me. So I'm going to let you guys. Oh, okay. Well, I have on that note, um, I have the first description of Gina. So he says, um, uh, Halleck could erase the others from his field of perception, but for a moment she was impossible not to see. Her hair was long and naturally wavy, not bound in any way. It fell to below her shoulder blades in a black, almost barbarous flood. Her print blouse and modestly kick-pleated skirt might have come from Sears or J.C. Penney's, but her body was exotic as that of some rare cat. From Spencer's gifts. A, a, pa- <laughs> a panther, a cheetah, a snow leopard. As she stepped into the van, the pleat at the back of her skirt shifted for a moment, and he saw the lovely line of her inner thigh. In that moment, he wanted her utterly and he saw himself on top of her in the blackest hour of the night and that want felt very old and that's the thing he gets so turned on by like the inner part of her thigh I was like expecting to say like oh her panty line or something and I'm like the okay I just Uh, thought I was reading it's like an awkward preteen making this I know I think what I was reading I just went like Jesus man like (laughs) take a shower I got some ego first one well there's a lot of swinging uh, skirts over there like because on uh, page 269 as she swung out of the camper with a swirl of skirt and a heartbreaking a heartbreaking flash of tanned leg. Mm. I don't know. This all sounds hot as fuck to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, 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 no. I've got something here. Legs. I've got something here. Let's go away from from the from the heat of a snow leopard to uh, <laughs> Billy's got the farts. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, after some bad snacking, here's what is written in the book. One of them, or possibly the combination, brought on a rather embarrassing farting spell that lasted from 4 o'clock until about 9 that night. Oh, my God. Linda marched out of the TV room halfway through the news, announcing that she would be back if someone passed out gas masks. Billy grinned guiltily, but didn't move. His experience with farts had taught him that leaving the room to pass that sort of gas did very little good. It was as if the rotten things were attached to you with invisible rubber hands. They followed you around. This just got, first of all, five hours. That is what, I would be like, can we go to the hospital? It's just it's, it's like air. Uh, it's like a beached whale exploding on the beach or something. I don't know. I like um, at one point uh, he talks about how he has to mail a package mm. when he uh, has to go take a shit. Um, the, that's great. I like. I on, have to use that from now on. Mail a package. I miss, what about dropping kids off at the pool? That's is that the, one still. That's, uh, uh, that's the other. The old classic. That's out there. Um, <laughs> I don't know what page this is actually on, but when he talks about, he references this twice too, the hand job. Yeah. As mm-hmm. he's about to orgasm and the way Heidi grips him as he, they crash or hit uh, the, Roma, what's her name? Susanna was the, the, the Oh, Romani. Gina? No, 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 no. The, 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 the victim. mother. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. But basically how he goes over the pleasure and pain principle of that, that for me, I was like, okay, so... Where are we going with this? Why are we doing this? Bondage? Is this like... (laughs) Um, So in terms of bad... I I talked about some bad jokes and bad dialogue earlier, and there was just one other that I wanted to point out. And this is like such a king line, um, but where he's... uh, 
uh, he's, t- he's talking about like after he sees Lita, he's talking to his wife and he goes, uh, for just a moment, he thought of saying, I went to see Kerry Rossington, but since he was gone, I ended up having a few drinks with his wife. The kind of drinks that Green Giant must have when he's on a toot. And you'll never <laughs> guess what she told me, Heidi, dear. Kerry Rossington, who grabbed your tit once at the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve, is turning into an alligator. When he finally dies, they can turn him into a brand new product. Here come to judge pocketbooks. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> what a dumb joke for such a serious, like, that's a terrifying thing. It well, could have made it better. <laughs> it could have been better. You should have pulled in a comic from the time. This is a section Aisha already uh, mentioned or uh, kind of hinted at. Uh, I have the, the, the specific lines to show how insane this is. On page 167. Oh, I have Do you want to read this? Because you had mentioned it before. You, go, you, go, you take this one. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yep, I have this too. Ahem. <laughs> Billy saw a fat woman in a black bikini. This is what I was thinking yeah. of. And I didn't know what page. Her deeply tanned skin gleaming with oil. Her gut was prodigal. Prodigal? Prodigal. I never know I how to say that. Prodigal, prodigal. prodigal. Yeah. yeah. The flex of the long muscles in her thighs nearly mythic and strangely exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so insane. Was, strangely exciting. I was like, he's a chub chaser, maybe? <laughs> Which I'm sorry. Guys. I gotta pour some water in my head. Because this is getting, getting hot. hot. <laughs> she moved toward the wide sweep of white of white beach like an ocean liner. Her butt flexing in wave like undulations, which I was trying to visualize. And I, I know that's so see. absurd. Her buttocks flexing in wave like undulations. Imagine like crossing it out, though. like rewriting it. What, <laughs> what is the point? <laughs> what is? Uh, he saw a grotesquely fat. Uh, oh wait, I'm switching. I thought. See, when I first read this too, I thought he was saying her butt was also a grotesquely uh-huh. fat poodle dog, and I was like, <laughs> How am I? Well, there's so much of it. Why not? It's in the shape of a poodle dog, right? It's curls, summer sheared, its tongue more gray than pink, hanging out listlessly, sitting in the shade of a pizza shack. So much, so much, and like there's more later where he talks about like overweight women. But no, there's um, ain't that America? Wait, let me see here. I've got um, okay. So on page one eighty nine, Old Orchard had been vulgar, but its vulgarity had been straightforward Mm. and somehow exhilarating. You knew the prizes to be won in the pitch till you win booths were junk that would fall apart immediately. That the souvenirs were junk uh, that would fall apart at almost the exact moment you got too far away to turn around and go back and bitch until they gave you your money back and. Old Orchard, many of the women were old, and almost all of them were fat. Some wore obscenely small bikinis, but most wore tank suits that seemed relics of the 1950s. You felt passing these jiggling women on the boardwalk that those suits were under the same terrible pressures as a submarine cruising far below her rated depth. If any of that iridescent miracle fabric gave way, fat would fly. Fat would fly. <laughs> I thought you say at Old Orchard, most of the women were old, and almost all of them were orchards. <laughs> But it just, it just so, it's so brazen. Just like fat would fly. Like coming down, dude. It's like, why don't you say that about the dudes? That's that's my thing. I'm like, we went into such detail about how the women looked. I guess that's the only thing Billy was looking at then. I know. Yeah, and that's true. But it's like, I feel like that's something we've called out in other King books. But then also, Billy mentions like, Two specific heavy or fat guys. Two specific, and that's the only time he ever references two other fat people. Yes, and it's always fat people, and it's never somebody else. Never some other type of person. It's absurd. Um, Anything else that you guys got? I'm I'm full. I'm full. Mm. Um, I feel like I might have one more. Let me see on him. I know a dog farts at one point. (laughs) (laughs) That's how he found where the kennel was for them. Yeah, it's just what's the uh, whatever. When in doubt, listen for farts. Um, Oh, I I know one. Okay, Uh, on page one eighty two. 
Yeah, I took my girl over and got her fortune read, he said. He picked up the photograph of Gina Lemke and rolled his eyes. She could really work it out on with that slingshot of hers, and she looked like she could work it out on in a few other ways, if you know what I mean. He shook his hand as if flicking water from the tips of his fingers. <laughs> what does that mean? Like this, like, like, like that. <laughs> We're trying to recreate it and like, failing. I, uh, <laughs> um, on 197, this, this just made me laugh, uh, but like how horny Billy is even as he's uh, wasting away. 197, he sees Gina. Um, and so uh, <laughs> she spat on him an enormous amount oh. of warm white spittle as if her mouth had been full of it. Billy could taste some of it on his lips. It tasted like tears. She looked up at him with her enormous dark eyes. And in spite of all that had happened, in spite of how much he had lost of himself, he was aware that he still wanted her. <laughs> just makes me laugh it's like dude control your horny level this <laughs> I guess it was what did it for him. oh yeah but if he's wasting away and he's, he's got nothing finishes, to lose you know? might you as know. well throw it out there you know. um any other pound cake or we had our fill oh man i think i'm ready Stuffed. to just put away the tray yeah and uh head to somewhere where we can kind of put things together i know exactly mm. where that is it's a place called king's dominion there's another world out there i know there is All right. Well, this is a Bachman book, so are there connections to King's Dominion? Uh, I'm glad you asked. Yes, yeah, just a, almost to Connecticut. 19 exits to go uh, to Heidi. That. There it is. <laughs> 19, of course, is a number that pops up through all of King books. And uh, our uh, Cy King is mentioned himself on page 113. Mm-hmm. That's so absurd. It's the way it's absurd. written is so cheesy. I actually have one. This is a uh, this is kind of a room two three seven right here on page twenty five and twenty six of the film edition. There is just a line that it's the lights billing out uh, cold like the light from a mason jar filled with August fireflies, cold like the swamp fellows he had sometimes seen as a boy in North Carolina. Old cold light, a moon in the shape of an ancient grin, one which contemplates revenge. Uh, it just made me think of the regulators, which is also mm. a Richard Bachman book where there is a moon in the sky that has a face on it that's smiling down. Mm. And it's a very spooky part of the book that I love. And uh, that just reminded me of it. So n- definitely not a uh, distinct uh, it's a connection. Cut. It's deep a cut. deep cut. But it made me think of another Bachman book that I am a big fan of. So I have he was the, he was an agnostic and he hadn't been through the doors of any church since age 19. Ah, you're catching all his 19s. There was two mentions of Ogunquit where uh, Franny uh, and Harold Lauder are from yeah. in the stand. Oh. I've got one. Oh. So page 32. Well, the word was out, cancer. Or, I'm sorry, of the movie edition. Yes. <laughs> Please. <laughs> sorry, guys. Please. Uh, well, the word was out, cancer. Rhymes with dancer, and you just shit your pants, sir. God knew the word had bobbed up in his own mind more than once since getting on the penny scale in front of the shoe store. It had bobbed up like some evil clown's dirty balloon, and, and he had turned away from Oh, wow. It. I didn't so even catch that. Also, a penny A penny scale, scale yeah. yeah. Anything about and that. Then, and, that's cool. And he it, was writing it around this time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, that's, that's wild. Awesome. Yeah. Nice little, uh, that's, I would say that's definitely. I feel like well, he slapped d- me in the face. Definitely. Well, he was, that was clearly on his mind. He was working yeah. on it, yeah. Um, uh, who else is going? I got uh, nothing. Chapter six. This is the chapter when his weight loss gets so bad, he's compelled to go actually see a doctor about it. And the name of the title is the chapter title is two seventeen. Yes, ah. I did. I, I, yeah, that was one. Um, this is not really, again, not really a King's Dominion, but I just thought it was a curious choice. So on page eighty five. 
he's talking to Lita. So he goes, Lita carries an only child, Halleck said gently. We went over our sibs one drunk afternoon in the Haster Lounge. Must have been, oh, four years ago. The Haster burned down not long after. That head shop, the king in yellow, is there now. My daughter buys her jeans there. It's such a weird digression, Mm -hmm. but the king in yellow uh, is an old book that's tied to, you know, weird lit. It was part of True True Detective. Detective. It's a very, like, Lovecraftian sort of thing. And then Haster is the, I think the name of the king in yellow. Like, it's the name of, like, a creature within that world but it's basically just a, like kind of a, a deep it's not lovecraft but uh, it's the like king and yellow thing is so creepy yeah it's attractive. like a lovecraftian kind of thing yeah. and it's funny because i was just playing this board game uh that's like a lovecraftian board game and the whole king and yellow was like uh part of the game yeah. and so haster was a thing i had just revisited so just when i saw that i'm like that just seems like a, a love like a lovecraft sort of reference yeah. for the sake of it which i thought was very strange because it's a it's a it's a couple sentences that really don't belong in that scene yeah yeah Oh, yeah, the hotel where we used to drink is gone now, and my daughter buys her jeans there. It's like, what? <laughs> what? Like, she's telling you about her her husband turning yeah. into an alligator. Does anybody else have any more? I've got a few Mm-mm. more. Okay, I'll, I'll barrel through these. Uh, the room service waiter at the hotel was a boy of no more than 19. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, my man. God. He was really um, leaning into it here. There was Billy makes a phone call from Barker's Coffee Shop. He was already a fan of Clive Barker. Oh, ah. interesting. Barks. Uh, this is the funny thing. He imagines a police interrogation where somebody says, we know you did it, McGonagall. And it reminds me of the Simpsons. Well, McGonagall, Billy is dead. <laughs> um, had to throw that out there. But then this is a really good one, actually. Billy's law firm retains a team of investigators, and the name of the team is Barton Detective Services, Inc. Barton is the main character of Roadwork. Ah. Oh, Which is another Bachman book. Yeah. So those are my, uh, my, my, my dominoes. While we're here, does anyone know where he got the name Richard Bachman from? Actually, I don't. I, I mean, I, th- I think I, I mean, I'm sure over time I learned this, but I've, I've forgotten it. Uh, Don Westlake, who is an author that he really admired, wrote under the pseudonym Richard Stark, which was you know which he used, in used Stark Dark for Half. Dark Half. Uh, but he had a Richard Stark book on his desk, and then he also was listening to Bachman Turner on Overdrive when he had to he come up with a with a name for it. So he went with Richard Bachman. Hey, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then uh, you know maybe that's I'm not kidding. That's probably where he came up with the name Rossington. He's a I'm, he's a big Skinner fan too. It probably did. I guarantee it. Yeah, yeah. that's if how you he ever, rolls. If you ever get to talk to him, make sure that's your number one question. Uh, Kerry Rossington or Gary Rossington? Well, he also yeah. wanted to release, he initially wanted to release Rage under the name uh, Gus Pillsbury, which is <laughs> apparently his grandfather's real name. Wow. No uh, shots, but then, Gus. But, but then that, that got compromised like at Doubleday, like it leaked that mm-hmm. Rage was his book. So then he went with another name. So uh, so that wraps things up here in King's Dominion. It was a short trip, but, you know, I learned a lot. I did too. <laughs> learned a lot of maybes and coincidences. <laughs> and just 19, general bullshit. Uh, so let's move into our overall thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. He said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's right. So this was uh, the last... Bachman book before they became everyone knew that it was Bachman and Bachman became more of a uh, a gimmick than an actual author. Mm-hmm. And so let's go around and say how we felt about it and give it our, our patented five bright red Pennywise clown nose ratings. I'll start things off. I'm going to give this book 
three bright red Pennywise clown noses. Um, it's not brilliant, but I actually found myself enjoying it a lot more than I did when I read it when I was young because I think that I'm of an age now where I can recognize sort of the the deeper, darker themes here mm. and sort of understand that Billy is not really the hero that I think an undeveloped mind like mine when I was a teenager reading this um, – just perceived him to be because, you know, when you're young, you think that the main characters of all stories are the good guys, you know, and I guess getting older, you start to realize that there is actually quite a bit of satire, um, like dark satire at the heart of this. And it's pretty cleverly layered throughout. There is sort of a surprising slow burn to this that I find really impressive. That said, you know, um, I find it, I mean, like a lot of the Bachman books, it's fairly slight. It doesn't, um, blow me away. I, and I don't think it quite earns the ending, even though I like the ending. Um, and then also I just, I didn't really like the characters enough to really enjoy spending a ton of time in the world. I'm glad it's only 300 pages, but, uh, you know, and that Janelli section, man, it just wiped me out. Mm. So I'm going with, uh, with three bright red Pennywise clown noses. Just, I think, especially coming off of two, too long novels, such as Talisman or Christine, or even the eyes of the dragon, which goes on too long. It was nice to know that you could read a, a lean Stephen King book, mm-hmm. kind of like his, some of his earlier works. I think as as critical as I was about the Janelli chapters, I don't know if you knew this, but I was very critical about. Oh yeah, <laughs> I thought if, that was your favorite part. Yeah, if for instance, <laughs> if if this was a nine hundred page book and that was thirteen percent of it, and so we're talking like hundred and fifty pages of Janelli, it's far more, it's far less forgivable than I'm able to to um, bestow upon it. So I will also actually give it three out of five. I do think if you do. Take out the Janelli stuff or just condense it down. We're looking at like a nice three and a half, if not four, Bright Right Pennywise Clown Noses. Only because this is such a horror novel mm-hmm. yeah. compared to a lot of his other books. And it, it's tough to – it's like when I say I think Friday the 13th, the film, is a four out of five. Now, is it better than the Philadelphia story? I don't know. But it, it, does, it sets off what it, it – it achieves what it sets off to do. Yeah. And this is just supposed to be a nice slight – body horror movie look how gross these people are yeah. look what's happening to this guy it's it's very simple but i like the simplicity of it all and so yeah i'm gonna go ahead and give it a uh, three bright red pennywise clown noses boom mike i dig it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not how we no. rate things here buddy I no know, notes is necessary no no i, I, I we do noses here <laughs> i think both of you have pretty much uh you, you hit the nail on the head hit, hit the ball at least for me yeah i mean for me it's it, it's it's a it's a fun pulpy novel mm-hmm. with a lot of uh the carnival of horrors inside yeah. i particularly love the imagination that king uh kind of pits puts to play here i mean especially with all the carrie rossington stuff like the hopley stuff like the the whole uh quote-unquote gypsy mythology is fun uh i so it, it's for me it's it's yeah as a horror novel i think it's great yeah. um i wasn't even like I, I feel like if i wasn't so rushed maybe the Janelli, the Janelli stuff wouldn't come off as so aggravating to me because what's actually happening is still kind of interesting that being said there are a lot of questionable weird motives you know narratively that that, that still don't add up all the way regardless you, you were talking about if we really want to get into like a genre novel, like this is a great mm-hmm. fun genre novel with a lot of just, just kind of really goes swings for the fences with like how far you're going to take body horror and like masturbating just the premise, protagonists yeah. and just, just how like awful the fates can be for some of these people. Mm-hmm. And and I mentioned Canterbury tales earlier, but like, I just love, I do love the ending. The ending is so unforgiving and yeah. just so it just, it's such a punchy ending. It's actually one of his best endings. Uh, if, yeah. like, and, and, you know, he struggles in that area. And I think that's, 
something that he really does well here. He comes back big time. Yeah. So for me, it's, I'm always going to remember the hook for this. It's just, yeah. it's something that's just always going to stick with me. Um, and as someone who struggles with body dysmorphia, that, that whole not being control is very scary. And I think there's a lot of, I think there's a level um, to that, that someone can kind of glean from, from this book for sure. And just how like this could be a commentary on that as well. But um, for the most part, good. So <laughs> and a good rating is three bright red Pennywise clown noses. Boom. 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 Aisha, give us your first ever bright red Pennywise clown nose rating. I noticed there's a trend. So I'm going to, I'm going to put this, uh, disclaimer out there. So I read this mostly when I was not eating. Like I purposely mm. would like wait to eat until after I finished like whatever section because I mean, it's dinner. So I wanted to, I feel like I, this whole nausea and this like contempt for my own body sometimes while I was reading it. Cause as he's eating certain things in there and not developing a taste for it and not enjoying it, I could also feel myself like not feeling hungry, but not wondering, but wondering why I don't feel hungry and why do I feel disgusted and revolted by him as a person, but also me. And when I think of like my eating habits, when I like pig out, cause I do. So it was, I think reading it when I was hungry, I would say three bright, <laughs> like bright noses, bright Pennywise noses. If I was hot, like fully fed, I would say two and a half. Two and a half? Yeah, because there's some parts out like uh, Sure, sure, sure. Gotcha. Well, I think that averages out to roughly three bright red Pennywise clown noses. Depending on hunger. Depending on hunger, mm-hmm. uh, which I think makes it one of the better Bachman books. <laughs> yeah, I think this is the second best Bachman book up to this point. That I would be great. Yes, yeah. I'm very excited uh, in several months from now, many, many months from now, if not years from now, when we reach some of the other Bachman books, uh, I'm very excited to see how they measure up against these guys. So that pretty much wraps things up here. We're going to be back next week with a deep dive into thinner, the film as well as an interview with director Tom Holland, with director Tom Holland, (gasps) which is going to be very exciting. We're super stoked about that. Uh, we're, I think we're all, we're all fans of the movie to some degree. Love the movie. I like the movie better than the book. Yeah. I haven't seen it since. Oh, wow. Uh, Well, that's good. I haven't seen it since I was, uh, I, I, I just never saw it. Just, didn't get a very good reception, so I'm looking forward to checking it out now. I feel Tom like it Holland, was rushed to me. I'm sure. It's definitely, it's it's definitely rushed. It's understandable, but it just like there was no attempt to cover up the rush, in my opinion. But I loved it still. Like I enjoyed it. Tom yeah. Holland also Tom directed. Holland, he wrote and directed Fright Night, Child's Play. He directed Child's Play. He wrote Psycho 2. He did the Langoliers. He did the Langoliers. (laughs) Which we'll be touching on soon. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, tune in again next week. In the meantime, check out the other podcasts on the Consequence Podcast Network and leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us out. And, you know, it just makes us feel good inside. And also follow us on socials. We've always got cool stuff that we're posting. We want to thank Aisha for joining us. This is our first book episode. It was so good to have her. And, And no thanks to you guys because, you know, this this is your job. This is what you do. So you don't need to be thanked. <laughs> it's just yeah. another day. Yeah. It's just another day. Another three hours on this yep. beautiful Sunday afternoon <laughs> talking about Stephen King's Do dinner. Do I get like a gift basket for coming? Yes. Like, you know. <laughs> we'll throw that together right now. Thanks for listening, everybody. And in the meantime, uh, long days. And, and pleasant, pleasant nights. nights. Bye-bye. God, I'm hungry.
Consequence Podcast Network.